Hello, valued customer and returning listener alike. Boy, have I got a deal for you. First off, my name's Junk, and I'm the host and producer of the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast. Welcome to episode 181. How are you doing today? Oh, it sounds funny like I'm trying to offer you something? Well, I am. In fact, before we get into this show, this is going to be a super fun show. You're going to want to listen to the middle part because there's an amazing contest by our buddies at Law Tigers. And good old Darwin at Law Tigers also sent me this little tidbit of information. It says, hey, the Moto America Championship of Monterey and FIM Superbike World Championship is coming to uh, WeatherTech Raceway at Laguna Seca. July 12th through the 14th. What do you think? We should give people like 20% off of the general admission tickets, right? That's an amazing offer. Of course, I says. So he says, hey, send people over to this uh, Ticketmaster link and use the code LTIGERS19. And guess what? 20% off general admission tickets. Wow, that is amazing. That is crazy. I know you guys like a good deal. I can see the bikes that you ride. You listen to the show for free. Plus, who doesn't like to save 20% on historic racing at a historic track in historic California, USA? So listen, I'm going to put this link in our blog at creative-writing.com. It should also be in our show notes, wherever you get your podcast from. And there should be a working link that will take you straight to the offer that Law Tigers is giving every single one of you the chance to go see some amazing, amazing racing for 20% off at Laguna Seca, July 12th through 14th. Don't make, uh, don't be late for July 4th because if you have it your barbecue the next weekend, you're totally going to miss this race, and that would be a terrible thing. But anyway, hang out to the middle of the show because there's something else that Law Tigers is giving away that is amazing. And before we get into the show, I just want to say I may edit it for content and for time, depending on my discretion, I may just let it run on like the uh, sentence that a third grader would write and uh, get an F on probably. But listen, at any rate, I hope you enjoy the show. Stick around for the middle part and stick around. Why don't you just stick around all the way to the end? With no further ado, and maybe a little bit further ado, let's get into this week's show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Creative Riding, the motorcycle podcast that brings you two-wheel topics from around the globe. Tonight's show is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, go to www.patreon.com forward slash creative writing to find out more. Now, to our regularly scheduled show show. First time going live with this. Let's go live. Moto One Podcast Network. <laughs> that was a lot of build up for that. <laughs> yeah, that was because you've been playing for the last like 10 minutes straight. I for some reason thought it'd be a little longer. <laughs> okay. I was going to make a, a insert inappropriate sexual innuendo here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. So here we are, everybody. This is the Nokomoto podcast and creative writing all together. I, do we have a name for this? The creative. We'll think of it. We'll, th- we'll think of it by the end of the show. Yeah, I was thinking, of, you know, since we, we never seem to get invited to the podcast round table this is the kids table this is the kids table with no komodo and creative writing 
the two, I wouldn't say most immature, I would say we're actually some of the more, we're spirited. Let's put it that way. We're spirited. The two most spirited podcasts that bring you two-wheeled topics from around the globe. Oh my God. It's almost as if Moto One Podcast Network has been uh, coaching us on this stuff and uh, we're all on board with this. Hey, by the way, um, I did get a note from Moto One that you guys were getting some TriCaster set up. Um, did you guys get that memo? Yeah, so it showed up and Tanner fucking broke it. So we had to shit can him. So we are without a TriCaster and without an intern. Oh my God. I, I was like, what the hell? And I look and like the MSRP on that is $39,995. And I was like, what are they doing sending you guys a $40,000 piece of equipment that the guy inevitably breaks? And they won't even send us a woman to eat sushi off of like you guys keep getting every other week there. Well, that was just lunch around here. But yeah. So, all right. Let's jump to some things here. What have we got on the agenda? This is going to be a little bit chaos. We got too many hosts. We we do. And I'm going going nuts here with uh, my audio cable because I'm using an old uh, piece of copper wire actually just coming out of the mixer into my recorder. So it it sounds like it. uh, So bear with me, creative writing listeners. Yeah, we've got... Here's what I have on the docket for tonight's show. We we did a little pre-gaming last night, and uh, we came up with the best worst bike, WFO, which is what's the fake one, um, some racing and some dealership news. And I'm feeling edgy and kind of cocky tonight, so let's let's roll with these babies. And uh, but let's do something different on this show. You guys always, I mean, best worst bike is like your guys' jam. You're world famous for it. Uh, literally, listeners around the globe know you guys for that and have asked you to uh, compile some sort of a compendium of your best and worst bikes. And let's just tell them right now, it's a lot, quite a lot of work, all right, for one thing. Second of all, um, hell's to the no, because we're going to throw a monkey wrench in this tonight. Why don't we do best work, worst bike, and you guys do WFO? Give us a couple fake headlines. You think we can, like, throw something together, like, on the fly real quick, like, while we're, we're chatting about this and do that? You know, we live in the moment. Let's let's fucking do it. <laughs> right on. I like how that sounds. And um, so, yeah, I think we're going to do best worst bike tonight. And let's do it in the order that you guys do. Let's do best worst bike first. Now, I don't have the script with, that you guys have, and I don't have the tact and professional um, professionalism to write down verbatim what you guys say. But here's the gist. Here's what I know. Every week... There's a best and a worst bike, correct? And it's only for this week, so don't get your feelings hurt. And I don't know, maybe you guys can help us out. What's what's the actual script for this uh, this piece, for this segment? So every week, we pick two motorcycles. The best and the worst motorcycles in the world this week. Alternating who has best and worst. No one knows what the other has chosen. It's a surprise. Now... If your feelings get hurt by the choices, don't worry. You can send your angry messages to contact at nokomotopodcast.com. Absolutely. Or Do not send it to Creative Writing. Email at Creative Writing. No, no, no. Just send it to contact <laughs> at Nokomoto. Yeah, send all hate mail to creativewriting at gmail.com. Not just for this episode, but future episodes as well. <laughs> now, <laughs> if people don't know, by the way, you look in your owner's manual right around between page 10 and 15. There's somewhere in, in that range, there's going to be the uh, labels of the lo- locations of the labels 
labels and like all the warnings and all that stuff. If you look at those and you're very careful and you look at the very bottom, you may even see the part numbers for those. And if you get out your tiny little soldering glass and look even closer than that at the bottom in the where your chain and tire information is at the very bottom, even under the part number, you'll see a little tiny, it's literally the finest of fine print that says, there's no crying in motorcycling, right? So don't get butt hurt if your bike is the worst bike this week or it's the best and you think they should be swapped because Wiggins and I really have no idea. We've never done this before. So uh, hopefully we don't hurt too many feelings, right? I'm going to master it like everything. <laughs> right. All right. So did we did, All right. So did we preface that pretty which good? Which one of you guys is going to go first? Well, I think I think I should go first because I've done the least amount of research. Doo-doo, doo-doo, unforeseen. No, I just came up with the best bike like 30 seconds ago yeah. for me. So <laughs> That's how Wiggins rolls anyway. His uh, stuff's off the top of his head. I'm going off something. You already know I have a very spotty memory, and I'm going off something I read like 10 years ago. So I'm going to go first and embarrass myself, and then by the time Wiggins comes up and has his rant on it and a dissertation, people will have forgotten mine, and it won't matter <coughs> anyway. So I think worst bike is going to go first. And the worst bike this week, and just this week, for all Hold of on. you that love it. You need the drum roll. It's important. There you go. Is. <laughs> the worst bike is. The Amazonas 1600. And I don't even, I couldn't even really tell you what year this bike is has been made. Because I've seen some revivals of this uh, beast. Um, I do have some so stats. So I can tell you everything. About this motorcycle. Good. Well, you help me out then because literally I'm going off stuff from my spotty memory. Um, so here's the deal. The Amazonas 1600. Okay, let's let's go back um, to 19, late 1920s, early 1930s. Uh, while the German party that would later become the Nazi party was riding around in their Mercedes and uh, early whatever – Kubel wagons. I don't know what the hell they were riding around in. Um, they wanted a car for the people and they wanted it to be called the people's car. <laughs> and literally that's what it was called. And in German, that was Volkswagen. And uh, the original uh, motor or the original car was designed around an egg. So that's kind of why they look like an egg to represent like fertility and uh, rebirth. And it was designed by Ferdinand Porsche. And it came with 26 horsepower, a whopping 26 horsepower. And they lasted, they were produced uh, air cooled, uh, you know, air cooled Boxer 4. They later bumped up to a 30 horse and then later like a 36 or 40 horse. And I even owned one of these. And they were like the scourge of American freeways because you get behind a Volkswagen on the freeway and you're doing um, zero to 60. And I don't know, they were 11 minutes. You thought I was going to say 11 seconds, but I'm talking like a 36 horsepower car uh, in the age of like V8s, you know what I'm saying? Like American V8s that were, you know, busting out quarter miles in 12 seconds. And these things were getting up zero to 60 in about, I don't know, six minutes. And the vans were even slower. So you take that motor um, and they were hot rodded all over the world, but uh, they really came just out of the box crap. You know, they were kind of bulletproof. Um and they ended. They started out as a 1200, went to 1300. They had a 1500 version, and they ultimately ended as 1600s before they quit pr- being produced in 2004 down in Pueblo, Mexico. And similar to the Honda motorcycles, um, the Volkswagen 
um, motors and the Volkswagen Beetles were produced, like, I think they're the most produced car over the, because they started in like 38 or 36 or something like that. And they went all the way to 2004. So they're like the most produced car in the world. And I know Honda's got some motorcycle out there that's the most produced motorcycle in the world. So what does a VW Bug have to do with a, a motorcycle at all? Well, fast forward to about 10 years ago, I had seen some fool on Tumblr this is like before Facebook and Instagram was a thing. And I saw this car that had a, v- or a motorcycle that had a VW motor in it. And I thought, man, I used to race air-cooled VWs and autocross them and stuff. They're actually pretty quick. I built mine up to 100 horse. That'd be kind of cool to have a 100 horsepower cafe racer bike. And I'm looking at it. And then I noticed that things weren't connecting right. And I was like, that... I don't see where this, like, how this thing works. And I asked about it, and, oh, it's a rendering. And I was like, oh, my God, it's a rendering. So this is just, like, a fakie. Everything, every cool bike that I've seen on the Internet ever has been a rendering, right? So fast forward to some Internet research uh, a few years later, and it turns out that Volkswagen did, in fact, make a motorcycle or Let's say that somebody made a motorcycle out of Volkswagens. And how this happened was Volkswagens became obsolete in the States uh, as soon as smog hit. <laughs> I think like late late 70s, early 80s was the last uh, U.S. legal um, Volkswagens. But down in Mexico and down in South America, specifically Brazil, where Amazonas is one of the states in Brazil, I believe, um, Brazil had this crazy thing that started in the 70s and lasted till the 90s, like 20, 25 years of uh, isolationism and protectionism. Does that sound a little bit familiar? (laughs) It's like exactly what's happening in today's uh, USA. They were putting tariffs and import taxes on stuff coming in from other countries because they wanted to basically encourage local uh, production of stuff. And they, 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 uh, you couldn't import um, motorcycle parts. You couldn't import motorcycles. You couldn't do anything that wasn't from Brazil. And it was uh, called the import substitution industrialization. Their plan was, hey, man, the economy's tanking. We're importing all this crap from around the world. We're going to like bring, we're going to make Brazil great again and bring uh, manufacturing back here and this and that. But the police force was like, hey, man, what about us? We ride Harley-Davidson's. You know, Harley-Davidson has been a police bike around the world for quite a long time, especially in the Americas from North America, South America. Uh, so the police force is like, listen, this ISI, the uh, import substitution industrialization policy, is keeping us from importing new parts even. Like, we can't even keep our Harleys running because this is in the 80s, you know, 70s and 80s, so Harleys weren't all that great back then. And they luckily Venezuela was Brazil's partner and they could import all the oil that the Harleys were leaking out, but they couldn't replace the parts, right? So they're like, we got to do something. Well, Mexico and uh, and Brazil has always been like a uh, hotbed for manufacturing. As a matter of fact, Harley-Davidson and I believe like BMW have plants in Brazil right now to meet these crazy import tariffs that are still going on in South America, right? And they're yeah, like, Honda does as well. Yeah. Okay. Right. And so, so this stuff is still extant. The import and tariff stuff is still extant. The thing that's ch- changed was is that they became this weird, like almost like Cuba, where people are making gear sets out of wood because they literally are not allowed to import from, and the U.S. has embargoed them, and their own government did it, but. The, the point is, is that they, ha- they had to make do with what they had. And luckily, Volkswagen had a production facility down there. And so somebody got the cool idea, especially the police. They're like, dude, we need, we need a big bike that we can, uh, you know, 
used as as these Harleys are going out, we need we need a big kind of you know at least eighteen thousand um, eighteen hundred cc bike uh, to replace it with. So they said, you know, here's a sixteen hundred motor from a VW. You guys take these old cardboard boxes and airplane cowls and whatnot, and fashion a motorcycle out of it. And that's exactly what the Amazonas was. It was it was that set of circumstances that led the Amazonas to be produced. And as a result, it kind of became a, a, an icon of Brazil and Brazilian technology because, like, that's all you could see. You, the outside world didn't exist anymore. So it's like, wow, look at this awesome motorcycle we built. And if you look at it, it looks like you welded some old. Old airplane parts and like a 50 gallon drum to a Volkswagen motor and then used uh, these wheels on it. The bike is so big that the wheels look like they're 12 inches, but I think that they're actually 16 inch uh, wheels. I couldn't even tell you what they sourced the parts off of, but the, I can. The, let, let's hear it because you probably know more about it than I do. This is, this is going off a 10 year ago article that I read. So, I, we put this is one of the few motorcycles that's in our elite Hall of Fame. <laughs> we actually decided that on good episode ten that this was beyond being ranked best or worst. This is a special <laughs> motorcycle. Oh my god! So around this time, Ford opened up a factory even before this was. Uh, being manufactured, or Honda came into Brazil as well. Ford was the first company that went into Brazil to get around the tariffs. So the brakes, uh, I believe the axles on this are off of some sort of Ford cut down. The uh, carburetors are Ford. The um, the chassis has like some sort of Ford shit into it, but chassis is a generous word. If you look at the frame or can find pictures of the frame of this, it doesn't look like a motorcycle frame. It kind of looks like a cut down VW uh, bodywork. It's ugly. <laughs> yeah, it is comically large. You're correct. Those are 16 inch wheels that look like 14. Yeah, they look like <laughs> it is. There, it's such a massive bike, and then to have that Boxer Four sticking out. Some of them, like I've seen on some of them, I'm looking at the carbs, and like I said, I used to work on V Dubs, and I'm looking at it going, okay, it's got some wacky downdraft carbs that I have no idea what they are. So the fact that they could have been Fords makes a lot of sense. And all the t- all the uh, ads and everything I found were in were in um, Portuguese since it's from Brazil. So I could not, I don't speak Portuguese, unfortunately. So I couldn't tell you like what it's trying to tell me. All I saw was the numbers. Obviously it's a 1600. It's got a 85 by 69 born stroke and a 7.2 to one compression. So it's still the crummy 75 foot pounds of torque from the old 1600, like 40 horse motors driving yeah. around with a gigantic oil tanker looking front end like uh, some of the front ends look like you took a kz old, one of the old old kz like cop bikes one of the kz 1000s i guess from like the early 80s and a honda goldwing and took the best parts off of all of them and like uh threw those in the it, trash and it, used it, the worst parts <laughs> exactly <laughs> well, it looks like it looks like an it, like an 89 goldwing rendered into ps1 graphics yeah <laughs> 
It's like a real shitty first gen Goldwing with all the bags and fairings on it. And when you see the cops on them, they're, they're yeah. When you see a person on it, it gives you perspective. Yeah, they are sitting so far back because the fuel tank and the motor and the because it's a okay. Volkswagens had a Boxer four, and then they had this like tapered tranny that goes back into a little drive shaft. So not only is it a shaft drive that had to be like rigged to adapt to a. Volkswagen on the side somehow to, yeah, to it's go. It's a small car shaft drive system. Yeah. yeah. That's correct. And <laughs> some riders don't look bad, but this rider looks tiny. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I got a picture of a cop here, uh, a cop on one. And this is now granted, this was for the cops who were, who were basically doing their Harleys, you know, getting a replacement for their Harleys with a Volkswagen. Could you imagine? That's like me coming in and telling the German cops they have to get rid of their, like, Audis and BMW, whatever, tricked out, uh, you know, interceptor cars, and they have to replace them with, like, a Ford or, a, no, one of those Think Smart for Two or whatever. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, here you go. Here, take the crappiest motor it's really the like. World. Hey, we're going to take away your Harley and we're just going to give you a bigger, heavier, more clumsy Harley. Well, it was still 900 pounds, so a lighter Harley, but at the same time, (laughs) a lighter Harley, but half the horsepower. Junkie, I've got to do some world-class point shitting here. Do it. Um, So it, it is objectively a terrible motorcycle. I agree. It weighs somewhere around, I want to say 930 pounds. That sounds about right. It's a, it's a big porker. It's got a huge wheelbase. It has, you'd think a very low center of gravity with that engine, but apparently not a good handler, even for the weight. Yeah. It's got terrible suspension. I mean, it's supposedly this bike I read somewhere only has like two inches of travel on the forks. It's not good, but the police force loved this motorcycle because you have to understand they were riding harleys from the 50s and 60s right and they had just been maintaining them for up until the the early 80s when they got this thing and it wasn't really made exclusively for them but the police force was the largest customer that they had right the company went through i think three different iterations it was just amazonas then it was ame and then it was another one called something else towards the end yeah these were all built on a small assembly line in what's essentially a large barn the whole thing was bought later on and they made a sport version of it later on right. called kahina <laughs> which is a which is the most 90s thing that's ever happened if you can find a picture of the kahina st1600 wow yeah that's i'm looking here and it says machine. that they had a super e-sporte that you got a pair of carbs out in the wind so they weren't hidden behind those shrouds which made it look extra wide is why those other ones look so big no 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 they they made one in like the mid 90s oh okay because it says there was even a there was even a poverty spec 1300 that was still putting out 38 horsepower which is like that's what i was saying the uh K-A-H-E-N-A, Kahina 1600. You need to Google that, and wow, that's something else. Yeah, the disc disc brakes were taken off a Ford car while the VW VW master cylinder was modified to operate from the handlebars. So the ones that used to be down there on the pedal, 
That thing is oh, pretty yeah, massive. <laughs> it, it, it was it was made to operate off the handlebars. So dude, that they is just, just they just chopped it up. Yeah, took it off the factory line and just cut it up. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, and it still oh, had it, the reverse. They kept the VW reverse because it was needed uh, to turn it around. <laughs> right. Now, the machine is, like I said, terrible, but people did love it, and people still love it today. And so it is, like you, you did mention, it's a national symbol. Yeah. So I kind of love it for that. But objectively, just as a machine, this is hot garbage. It all is. All the way. <laughs> it, hot garbage. Yeah, it was a but national I, symbol. Unfortunately, it was a little too on the nose. And I agree with what you're saying, too, like, it, so it's a oh national symbol, but you have to respect it for the fact that it was their workaround to have a motorcycle based on that country's laws at the time. So, right. like, it's it, yeah, yeah. it sucks, but they were they worked with what they had, and they they, they had a motorcycle. And if I could right. choose between that and nothing, like, you, trust me, there it, was there was plenty it. of stuff being manufactured there that. <laughs> Just not in the size they needed. The Kahina now, I gotta say, looks like a BMW K model ripoff. From One of the them 1990s. I saw actually said BMW. I think Google is confused. The or- Kahina looks like a VW Bug smashed into a sport bike fairing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the reason is, is it looks like a twin because there's no. Because see, the VW Boxer had exhaust coming out the back as well, and this Kahina looks like it's only coming out the front, like a v, like a BMW Boxer, but it still is gigantic and hideous. And it, it looks like you took a Boss Haas and wrapped a sport bike <laughs> around it. I actually have, like, this one picture in Google says, motorcycles dash BMW dash Kohina ST1600 for Germany 1998. But it wouldn't be German. Yeah. No. But there's a, there's other pictures of it that don't, that says Amazonian 1600 Beetle-powered Brazilian behemoth. <laughs> Now, there's a great part of the Amazonas story that you haven't brought up is that you could buy this bike in the States supposedly for a very short time. As things were going under, they came up with some sort of harebrained scheme to try to sell these in the States. But as you mentioned earlier, Emissions already had this thing on the chopping block. Oh, yeah, for So sure. they got around it by selling this thing as a kit bike. Oh, and worse. they shipped them into Texas, and there was a place where you could get them for about six months. Oh, I thought you were going to say about $600. Oh, man, I think horrible. they were asking in like 82 something like $3,000, which in today's money is approaching like, you know, nine or 10 grand. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> That's absolutely ridiculous. And, and, uh, yeah, this bike, thank you for helping me out. Cause honestly, like I said, I was going off of 10 year old, uh, data and, uh, and, and a spotty memory. So that is some background information that even I probably couldn't have mustered up without the help of you guys. So yeah, worst bike from me is apparently a uh, smoking turd in the, um, too bad to roast. I like that. It's top <laughs> 10 worst bikes of all time too. That's <laughs> Good choice. <laughs> I remember seeing this thing and going, even though I love VWs, I would have never bought this thing. You know what's you know rad? What, what I would love to see is, you know that movie, Herbie, the, the love bug? I'd love to oh, see it remade man. with If they this had one of these bikes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That would be amazing. That would be pretty rad. Herbie the mur- murder cycle. What's rad is the bike I was going to pick for worse was going to be anything from Boss Haas, which is pretty similar because it's a car motor and a motorcycle, which makes this stupid behemoth. <laughs> So I'm kind of stoked that you picked what you picked. 
All right, so now right, I, we ready to move uh, on to best. Yeah, mo- sure. most people in Brazil are probably stoked that I picked what I picked. Unfortunately, we have zero listeners in Brazil. Yeah, <laughs> I think we've got two. Um, Send them our way after this episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Wiggs, you ready to reveal the best bike in the world this week? I think I am. Um, okay, produced. I thought MotoGP went four strokes in two thousand. Was it not till two thousand two? Um. So produced from it says 2002 to 2006. I'm gonna go with the Honda NR or not NR, sorry RC 211 V uh, 1000 CC V5 because it was the beginning of a huge change for MotoGP, going from two strokes to four strokes, and it dominated for actually all five, like five or four or five years because Rousey won on it pretty steadily and Nicky Hayden won on it. Um, I think he won in 05, which... Oh, 06. Or 06, yeah. And then they went 800s for 07 for a couple of years. Um, hey, before Chris goes any further with the world's best bike this week, can I just say that the Moto1 Podcast Network was going was had a wager going with G- MotoGP and I. I lost because I said you were going to pick a CBX. <laughs> <laughs> MotoGP said you were probably going to pick a RC51. So we both lost oh. out, and it goes back into the coffers for a prize pack. The 51 uh, was it was on the I was it was the thought. MotoGP, yeah, I was were, closer. You were for close, sure. yeah, for yeah. sure. Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to point out he that just we picked a different bike than we. One on. Yeah, we knew it was going to be Honda. True. Well, <laughs> definitely. I really thought about the uh, NR750 a lot too. And I, I thought for different reasons that bike could both be the best bike and the worst bike. Um, I agree. I mean, it's such an amazing bike, but a huge failure. Although Honda didn't really believe in failures as long as you learn from them. Um, but yeah, the RC211V was the, you know, it was when GP first went four stroke. Um, Rossi won on the two stroke the year before and he won on the four stroke when it came out. Um and it, it dominated for a, it's pretty well its whole lifespan. Um, now they're on a two thirteen V. I think I don't know. They don't really change it every year, even though the bike changes every year. So that I believe the two twelve was an eight hundred, and then I think they're at a two thirteen back to the thousands. But it's only a V four now. So, Can you yeah. tell me what the naming scheme? How the naming scheme works? I really don't know. I did a little research. A while oh, ago, we know. <laughs> on the RC term in general, um, and RC just is short for because HRC is Honda Racing Corporate. No, is it Honda Racing Corporation? Company. Yeah, company Racing Corporation. So the RC is just short for Racing Corporation, correct? Yes. Okay, and the numbers to me got super confusing because they weren't really year or size specific because you've got like. The RC 160 or 260 back in the day, the little inline six, like, you know, the, in the line with the RC 51, you've got the RC 30, then the RC 45, and then the RC 51, which I also know there was like an RC 35, I think, which was the VFR 400. Um, there was a single sided swing arm V4, but there's also stuff that has been called an RC that to me really wasn't an RC and uh, debatable. I guess the RC 51 was kind of that too. It wasn't really like the RCs have always been like a race bike and the RC 30 and RC 45 were definitely more special than the CBRs out at the time where the RC 51 trying to be a little more production friendly motorcycle wasn't really 
astonishingly better than the CBRs at the time. I mean, it was a twin and it was rad, but to me, it was a lot more production friendly where RCs typically have been way more special, way more expensive, you know, which I think is one of the reasons a lot of people love an RC 51 is they can have one, you know, myself included in that. So, um, but yeah, I did a little research and it, it lost me pretty quick. There was some stuff with displacement, um, you know, so they did the- actually change it completely after 2000. Uh, it's actually supposed to be read 211V, and 21 is for 21st century. Okay. One is first generation, and V is for the V4 engine. Okay. And that's why it's just gone RC2 21123V. Okay. So. Okay, and the V designates a V4, or in this case, a V5. Yeah, any kind of V configuration motor as opposed to an inline four or something like that. Okay. And then the RC51, they didn't have it, but it was a RVT. And actually, I believe it was an RVT in the States and a VTR in Europe. To not, I still think it was the RC51 in Europe, but the. RVT was the consumer model, whereas the RC51 was a sort of race spec version you would buy. Well, sort of they, like an RR. Right. And over there, they called them more, they didn't really call it by the RC51 like we did here. They called it SP1 and SP2, which yes. we still had here, but it was like kind of a hidden thing. Yeah. They, um, didn't, they didn't do that again until recently with the. Uh, um, CBR a couple of years ago. Uh, the CB- they did an SP2 yeah, that you could get. Yeah. It was like a nicer version. Yeah. But I also believe like the RC51 was also called a VTR, like mm-hmm. the VFR, the V4. And I believe in Europe it was called the RVT. Yeah, so I, mean, here, I know I've seen those. I know I've seen those decals. The VTR yeah. was just for the Superhawk, I believe. Ah, oh, maybe that was it. Okay. I'd have to look. Well, mine doesn't have any stickers on it. So I, I know I've seen yeah. TRD on a lot of stuff too, and I just think that that's terrible. You know what I saw today? Uh, let's see, that was TRD, so it was the LRD. They had Lexus racing development. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? So um, for me, the uh, the RC uh, 211V is a great motor because – a great engine, great bike – because this really leads to an era of just outright cheating in MotoGP. <laughs> this is, you know, this is Honda going, we, you know, we, we're not going to cheat on paper, but we're going to throw so much fucking money at this. We're going to create a five cylinder because the rules don't say we can't. Actually, everyone else was still rocking a four cylinder. And Honda, I think, was the first to do I believe this. they Other- were. If I'm not mistaken, how the rules were written was you could have a like a one or two cylinder and you were given a weight and you could have a three or four cylinder. No, it wouldn't have been that way. Maybe it was two or three, and you were given a weight. Four and five, and you were given a weight. And like six or more, and you were given a weight. So Honda decided that the weight for the five-cylinder, of course, Honda always liked a lot of cylinders too. CBX, RC160, am I getting that one right for the little tiny I think that, yeah, that was an inline six. Yeah, six. Yeah, that was the like... The 250cc inline six, it revved like 20,000 RPM yep. in the 60s. Um, so they thought a five cylinder was, it was the same, had to weigh the same as a four cylinder, but 
knowing Honda, they thought five would be better than four, you know, and we all know the more cylinders in the same displacement make more power. So they went with a five cylinder. That's, you know, I mean, those are, of course, rumors. You never know Honda's real reasoning. But so why they're at a four cylinder now, I don't know. Maybe GP changed their rules. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that was kind of the deal. I, to my understanding at the time was if you had like a three cylinder, it could weigh, it would be lighter. And a four or five cylinder, it had to be a little heavier. And then like six or more, it had to be even heavier than that. So you were allowed a thousand cc's, but depending on the number of cylinders was your weight that the bike had to meet. I, I think all that's true, but this is such this is so typically Honda and so classic Honda. Mm-hmm. You know, in 2003, I'm reading here they were able to increase the power from 200 for, horsepower to 200 and fucking 40 horsepower mm-hmm. because they added traction control. They made this this engine that was so ahead of everyone else it had 40 horsepower in it just locked away that they couldn't use because they didn't have traction control right you had traction control all of a sudden they were able to unlock that yeah hey who's who's wrestling with tinfoil right now (laughs) oh and i i also googled uh so just some images because i hate information sometimes the the rc51s in the united states were called an rvt but in Europe, when you Google uh, SP2, they are VTRs. So uh-huh. SP1s and SP2s in Europe, for some reason, and maybe other places, were VTR. But in the States, they were RVT. So I guess V-twin race, and in the States, they thought it was stupid, so it's race V-twin. What makes these things the best bike in the world this week? The GP or the RC51? The... The RC two, no, the bike, yeah, the bike that you picked, the because uh... it dominated MotoGP for basically its entire existence. Yeah, and like you said, like forty horsepower unlocked when they got traction control. That the motor had, like the motor would have made it, but they knew they wouldn't be able to ride it. So we'll just we'll just detune it a little bit. Yeah, and it it's also, I mean, you know, I think for a lot of people now. And even myself, because that was like right when I started getting into sport bikes and stuff too, because I had my own, but. It was the end of an era when they ended two strokes, right? I mean, that's what they rode in in MotoGP for how long, right? Because they were powerful and fast and fucking crazy to ride. And they when they went to four strokes for the same reason everyone else was, mostly emissions, not that GP worries about emissions, but it dominated. Like Rossi won two or three years in a row, something like that, maybe four years in a row, and then Nikki won on it too. You know, and it, it pretty well dominated until Rossi went over to Yamaha and won. So it, it's the not only did it dominate for its lifespan, but it's also the beginning of a total change of you know bike style for MotoGP. Yeah, for sure. It also kind of brings in this era for Honda. Honda was always a big deal in Grand Prix racing. But Suzuki and Yamaha really were on top for the two-stroke era. Mm. And Honda, not so much. I mean, they wins here and there, but they weren't Honda like HRC is today. You know, Repsol Factory and GP. And this is really where Honda becomes big red, evil overlords of motorcycle racing. See, Which you can look at as a good thing or a bad thing. They've done a lot yeah. of great things for the sport and development, but this is the bike, the time that that really mm-hmm. fucking lands. They really dominated. And I don't know. Yeah. I I mean, 
I guess there were a lot of like, maybe it was more competitive then, but I always think of like even older stuff when Mr. Honda was alive, like, you know, when he went to Isle of Man in the sixties and he went back to Japan and he's like, we're going to go next year and we're going to win. And they went next year and they fucking won. And now what I look at is, you know, I mean, obviously Marquez, I think is one of the reasons they're winning. I mean, that kid could probably hop on anything and, and yeah. win. Um, and Rossi's, Getting to be an old man, the dude's still up there, but I mean, you're not, it's hard to dominate something like that at that age. But I, you know, so I guess like now when I look at more sport bikes and stuff, or like, you know, not sport, I mean, obviously sport bikes, but just like Moto America and stuff, like I feel like Honda's also been like dropping the ball on cool stuff lately. So like you have uh, HRC dominating or doing so well in MotoGP. But then you have like this CBR thousand that hasn't had a really major change in eleven years, and it, it's kind of boring. And I don't know. I guess change and and racing aren't necessarily you know tied together. But it's maybe I'm just like bored with what Honda's doing, even though they're still winning GP. But but I think you're right. Like I, Rossi did win you know, a couple championships or at least one championship on a 500 two stroke for Honda. He always rode Hondas when you, you know, when he was a kid, but he always had a Repsol sponsorship too. Um, and then went and pretty well dominated the first few years of four stroke for GP. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a historic bike. If you, if you look at any sort of just random picture of like a Honda museum or something, one of these models, whether it's one Rossi Road or Nikki Hayden or whoever, these are bikes, even the 800cc versions, which people look back on and kind of hate on now, like Honda has amazing respect. Anyone that worked on these bikes is just royalty at the company. Mm -hmm. It's it's just an amazing thing. And this V5 configuration, like, how do you fucking balance an engine like this? Uh, this I, I was going to say they did a five-cylinder four-balancing to get a dummy cylinder in there, but... No, I mean... Make it actually work. To me, you know, knowing some of the crazy stuff that Honda would do back in the days, three front cylinders and two back cylinders, like... Who, so what? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I think for vibration wise, it's probably not any harder to balance than an inline six or probably even an inline four. Um, and it was such a cool concept, I think, to do a V5 because it's going to be narrower than a four cylinder. You know, you're going to get the benefits of a, Z, a V, but you're also getting the benefits of five cylinder. I think that's fucking amazing. And oh, yeah. It's, it's funny you said, because I kind of agree with you that like people look down on the 800. But honestly, they went GP went 800 to slow them down, and I think everyone got faster. So that was kind of crazy. Even though they all went four cylinders and went you know smaller, they got faster. I don't know why they went back to thousands if they were so fast on an 800. But you know, it's crazy. You know, honestly, when you look at this stuff going into the bikes, like there's no reason they couldn't have 500 cc four strokes and still be making 200 horsepower on those things. Yeah. It's amazing what um, BMW did with their cars back in the uh, 80s with technology. Once mm -hmm. computer programming started to happen, they took their 1600cc uh, cars, put them in formula chassis, and they're making like, uh, I don't know, like a thousand horsepower or something out of them just by managing stuff. And that's when fuel injection and all that stuff started to be prototyped and turned into like a real thing. So that's pretty... 
Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. I agree. I agree with the choices this week. Best and worst bikes. We did a bang up job, apparently. <laughs> guys, right. we're coming up on a half an hour. Do you guys want to take a quick break and thank some sponsors? Yeah, we can do that. All right, and get geared up for the next topic, which is definitely your guys' realm of discussion. And somebody mute Jay. Sounds like she's beating somebody up with some cooking utensils. Jay, are you are you abusing are you abusing the your uh, I'm servant? My meat. <laughs> well, put it in the oven and call it done, my lady. Uh, yeah, <laughs> creative writing. We'll be right back. Hang out with Nokomoto while they talk about cigars and fancy meats. Listen, everybody. I know it's not quite the middle of the show, but I cannot wait another minute to tell you about this awesome, amazing deal. Another deal thrown into our laps by our buddies at Law Tigers, America's Motorcycle Lawyers. So listen to this. Not only are they giving you 20% off um, you know, Moto America race and uh, FIM World Superbike race at uh, Laguna Seca, which is a very historic racetrack in California, they're also giving you a chance to enter to win a full trip to Stylin and Sturgis, motorcycle rally known around the world for being uh, totally awesome. So listen, you need to go to lawtigers.com forward slash Stylin and Sturgis. And we'll put this link up because it's Stylin and Sturgis. So go ahead, look in the show notes, click the link. Winners are going to be chosen Monday, July 14th. You want to know what you could be entered to win? How about this? Uh, the Stylin and Sturgis contest comes with round trip airfare, housing, the bike rental of your choice, and a plethora of other kick ass prizes. That's right, you heard me. The total prize package estimated value is $21,150. You're going to get two VIP tickets to the AFT Black Hills Half Mile Race valued at $120. You got some. Uh, exclusive riding equipment from Senna valued at around $1,500. You can get up to $3,500 motorcycle rental. I want you to go look at this flyer and tell me that you don't want to go to Sturgis and win this. Even if you're just into bandanas, even if you're not like a crazy motorcycle guru that wants to go check out one of the most historic places on earth, uh, you know, the Black Hills and, and all that great stuff surrounding Sturgis, Famous, famous, famous American Motorcycle Rally, one of the oldest in the history of motorcycling in America. And you don't want to go? Just go get your bandana. You don't have to do anything else. Bandana or die, bro. So listen, head over to lawtigers.com forward slash styling and Sturgis. We'll have all the links in the show notes. You win yourself that trip and get your bandana. Thanks, Law Tigers. America's Motorcycle Lawyers. We are back. This is Nokomoto Creative Riding Mix-Up Matchup Crossover. This is the end game of podcasts. And as the Nokomoto bros put it, the kids' table. Because we never get invited to the grown-ups round table. I don't know why they don't value our opinions. Probably because of crappy techno music we play. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we're back. And thanks for, uh, thanks for helping out with the best bike, worst bike in the world. Really lent some new perspective and helped this very old decrepit brain 
Uh, remember some things about the Amazonas that I wish I even never knew. Um, I like that we lend perspective to our own original segment. Yeah, it's good. It's nice to see it from a fresh <laughs> pair of eyes, isn't it, once in a while? So now let's flip the script and do that to ourselves. And I've never actually got to participate in this because I've always done the research on it. But WFO, for all you hooligans out there and all you crazy racers that know WFO means, it means wide Bleep and open. You guys don't cuss on Nokomoto, but let's do it for this show. What do you say? <laughs> just, <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. It's uh, it's, <laughs> it's it's wide fucking open. But for uh, for this segment, it's what's the fake one, and it's where you yeah whoop uh, a little bit late there, just like mine are. But um, but yeah, this is where we get uh five headlines. And one of them's fake, and we have to decide which one it is. Because as we know, motorcycling can be one of the most ridiculous things in the world. And with places like Florida and Germany just shitting all over the rest of the universe and uh, pumping out headlines that should be in a pulp novel from the 50s, um, that anything's possible on two wheels. So it'll be interesting to play this week. Um, I don't know what we're going to win. Whoever loses... Uh, has to do a curse on next week's creative writing and uh, I'll make up a game just so we can do that but how's that for a, a wager for everybody I'm in yes okay you guys are in because you don't so have we to got do it five good stories for you here all right let's see what what's the first uh, headline we want to give them because we, we give you all five headlines and we're gonna go through them and you and you guys are all going to say whether you think they're true or false mm-hmm. right so What's our first one on our list here, Swigs? You guys going to do a drum roll uh, in between each start. one, too? Oh, sure. Here we go. First first is... Uh, BMW developing hybrid motors. Okay. You guys ready for another? Or do you want to just nope, talk about whether you think that one's true or false? Let's hit the next one. It's definitely the next one. plausible. Right. And our second news story is... Ducati will be competing at Pikes Peak with a Panigale V4 Street Fighter. Your third news story is... Uh, Kawasaki will be implementing radar safety systems into their next premium motorcycles. And your final story, headline. Uh, new manufacturer Druid will be releasing an all-new electric motorcycle with AI-driven. Oh, what was it? Where is it? Oh, I've lost my line. Where is it? <laughs> it has AI adaptive technology in it? Yeah, AI adaptive uh, EV drive, cloud connectivity. And, uh, oh, I think, God damn it, the page won't load anymore. <laughs> All right, buddy. You don't have to load a page. Yeah, you don't, anyway. have, you don't have to load a page, especially if it's a fake headline and there was no page to load. I know you're not that <laughs> quick on your feet. But, uh, yeah, I, I get, it's funny because I, I work in a place where I get news feeders every day from inside industry industry rags but i also do follow quite a bit of the news outside of work just because i'm a motorcycle nerd and i already know which one's the fake headline i'm going to uh hold mine until last i'm gonna let jay and chris go in front of me well i know the second one's definitely true 
Yeah, I was going to say that also. Because I already saw a preview of him testing. I think the first one is true, too, because I believe I saw a headline a few weeks ago for the BMW. And then, so the third one was Kawasaki's putting radar detector, basically, in their bike. Is that kind of, like, the gist of it? So, basically, like, Subaru has, like, EyeSight Cruise, so it'd be something like that. And also, there was only four headlines. There's usually five. Are you guys holding one out on us? Is there a secret one? There that's is fake? one, but you cut me off. Well, um. okay, sorry. <laughs> I heard the final headline is, and then because uh, remember the page oh. wouldn't load. Oh, then I must have messed up. Okay, so one more headline. All right, last headline. Uh, Harley Davidson will be releasing a 300 cc liquid cooled motorcycle. But it turns out it's actually a Benelli TNT 300. All right. All right, Jay or Chris, you guys flip a virtual coin to decide who's going to go first. Uh, um, let's see. I'm trying to think. Don't really matter. What was the me. Kawasaki one? Can you read that one again? Uh, Kawasaki to implement radar-assisted safety technology in their new premium motorcycles. I don't know. I think it's between that one or the one after it. The AI one is the false one. I'm not sure. What about you, Wiggs? I'm going to say the AI is the false one, too. Yeah. You say that one's the false one? Yeah, because the, the radar detector thing's totally plausible and really simple. Um, cars already do it. Like Subaru has eyesight crews that basically already does that. So is the radar detector, it can sense, like, police radar? Is that what that is, or am I misunderstanding that? I think it's, I mean, because that probably is not legal in every state, so that one would be hard to do, like, where you would sense a police detector. I What I'm guessing it is is, like, an automatic braking. So it would have a radar, like, basically shooting out the front, so if a vehicle in front of you is slowing down or going slower than you, it knows it. Hmm... I think I think that one is fake, personally. All right, well, let's start going through these then. So, what was our first headline against Swigs? Uh, oh, <laughs> he's saying Swigs and Swiggins and Swiggins <laughs> and Wiggins on the show tonight. There it was the BMW hybrid, though. We all know BMW yes. is making a hybrid motor. Okay, yeah. So this is this is in fact true. BMW is not actually making a BMW hybrid motor, but they have put out a patent yeah. for one. And I this this is a little vapor wary for me. You and know what? Like, just like, they have put out the patent, but yeah. why? I don't see how a hybrid motor makes any sense in a motorcycle. Well, it's not like a car hybrid, where well, I don't know how they're saying they're going to do it, but what I'm kind of guessing is, like a car hybrid, most of them are like gasoline drives one wheel, and then the electric motors drive the other set of wheels. And that's usually how the car hybrid system works. Although a Prius, I don't think, does that, does it? It's added on. It's all the same drive. Yeah, it depends on what I'm sorry, what you I'm mean thinking by like hybrid. fast cars. But why not, you know, especially <laughs> on a BMW, if, it, well, like Ferrari and Porsche and all, then they have a bunch of hybrids and it's, and uh, Honda NSX. Um, I mean, why not? Basically, you could do a small displacement motor. If you're BMW and especially doing a shaft drive, you could basically make that shaft also an arbor through an electric motor. 
Um, and I think by hybrid motors, they mean the technology by, or well, the, cause it's not two separate motors. If I'm correct, if I remember this patent coming out, it's not two separate motors. It is a literally a hybrid motor that drives the same, obviously the same shaft to the rear, but it's, um, it's not electric, right? It wasn't it fuel. Is it fuel cell? Uh, wasn't it yeah hydrogen or something? I'm not thinking of the Honda uh, patent because Honda also has a vaporware patent for a hydrogen fuel cell. But uh, I thought BMWs was hydrogen as well. This was basically just placing a battery under the fuel tank. Is oh. what they have in their designs. Yeah, um, but there's not much. Uh, in it about the the actual motor itself, like the electric motor. It'll drive yeah. you know a separate starter of, motor. Is, it reminds me of like Google because Google likes to just put, grab a bunch of patents for some crazy technology and they don't necessarily fulfill it, but I think it's just part of their like research and development team trying to be on the cutting edge. And BMW, didn't they have like that self-driving motorcycle yeah. put out? Yeah, uh, they do, and BMW does as well. And I think Yamaha has one. Everyone basically does. Whether they've advertised it or not, everyone is working on a self-driving bike for whatever reason. Yeah, they are also working on, uh, oddly enough, um, speaking of your radar headline, they are, a lot of people are working on weird, like, haptic additions and weird um, V2V technologies that can... As, as this stuff is getting onboarded to cars, it's uh, the AMA here in the States is actually actually making a big push to get motorcycles included in all that V2V stuff. Uh, and people, as, as systems develop, they are um, being developed for motorcycles as well because they don't want to, they don't want us to get left behind when all this stuff goes down and motorcycle deaths go up and then motorcycles are outlawed unless they're self-driving. So yeah. Or self-riding. Can they ride themselves? <laughs> But, well, um, I don't think a company is ever going to put out a completely self-riding motorcycle because, one, that's dumb. Why would anyone buy that? I think they have these self-riding motorcycles for the purposes of testing other technologies. Yeah, I agree. And with the BMW one, they, their next 100 statement that they made was that we're going to make a self um, a self Balancing motorcycle? It can be self-driving. This self-driving motorcycle was something that they said in 2016 we're working on for the next hundred years where you're going to wear, we're going to make a motorcycle so safe it'll be uncrashable is what they said. And all of the stuff that they have today, like um, yaw control and the, uh, you know, the the ABS, because BMW was really the first one to have like the whole IMU to before they called it an IMU. And now they're just hooking it to every dang thing so the bike can tell what's happening and then BMW is coming up with some heads up stuff BMW has been developing a lot of like actual radar stuff as well and they say that the motorcycle of the future is going to not only be electric but so safe that it can drive itself so that if you cook it too hot into the corner the the motorcycle rights itself and uh Breaks and powers down so that you can't crash it basically. So, I think that's why they're developing that technology to make it so that uh, my kid, my seven year old kid, could jump on a motorcycle and ride it as well as Valentino Rossi, who will be 62 by that time. <laughs> by the time my kid's riding, but yeah, that it's just like another thing that is uh, 
absolutely true. Uh, headline number three is true. What was headline number two? Was the um, the Spitz Donut right? The Ducati Racing Pike. Oh yeah, we already knew that. We I I didn't send it out to you guys, but we got a press release in the old uh, creative writing folder from the Ducati Media House, and I actually I think I tweeted it and put it out on Instagram. That was old news, and of course, if you are listening to uh, Brap Talk, <laughs> you know those guys are Ducati hookers, basically. Yeah, the Ducati V4 Street Fighter. Yeah. A motorcycle only Jensen Beeler asked for. <laughs> and and uh, he w- straight went to Claudio Domenicali to ask for that motorcycle, and now they've come out with it. Yeah, Jensen Beeler is such a hooker for Ducati. I can't stand listening to that podcast almost. you can If you played a Ducati drinking game every time they mention it, you would just be, your liver would be shot by week three. But Well, I don't have a problem with him being a Ducati fanboy. That's oh, yeah. his jam, and he's totally allowed to, to love that brand. I guess. But... The Ducati Street Fighter is first an objectively ugly motorcycle, but second, didn't they spend a lot of time and money coming up with a both uh, aerodynamically sound and aesthetically beautiful fairing for the Panigale V4? And then they're like, hey, let's just make an (laughs) ugly naked version to make Jensen happy. Yeah. And then we're going to race it at his favorite race, Pike's Peak, because it's the other race where it's someone's guaranteed to die that's a little bit more offbeat than Isle of Man so yeah. Jensen Beeler has a huge fucking heart on for it yeah and we all know yeah, Ducatis I mean, don't do so well around the Isle of Man so well and I yeah I like I'm a fan of naked bikes and I have to say like with the Street Fighter you know it's I don't know I like the Super Duke but that's beside the point like it is cool that on the Street Fighter the difference between the monster the monster they kind of relax everything and the Street Fighter's like no we're just going to put moto bars and take the fairing off so you can have as aggressive of a bike without the bodywork. And to me, that's kind of rad because really no one does that. You know, you, you know why they had to do this? Because it's a bad idea. That's why no one else <laughs> No, does you know why they had to do this is because for the last like seven years, bikes have been becoming faster than that mountain. Aerodynamics, the speeds, like the power, the mountain's never going to change, but the velocity at which humans try to throw themselves up it has increased year after year after year. So I think making a, a motorcycle that's naked and not aerodynamically sound is their way of using nature's force, which is a uh, terminal velocity against you to help slow you down so that you can't push that critical envelope and kill yourself. The person who rides that up there will not die. Let's just, I'm going to make a bold statement. They also right now. won't win. Well, that's well, fine. I mean, would why, you rather, Hey, would you rather wait, win or die? Why won't they win? Because all the bikes have to have one piece bars. So they're, none of them are really going to have full yeah, but there's gonna be, on them. Yeah, they are. There's tons of bikes that like the, uh, H not the, the H2. bike that won last year didn't have a fairing on it. Right? Well, didn't didn't KTM like? Well, because there's so many different classes. Yeah, but the, the, the overall the Ducatis won last year. The then sixty. Then KTM won the year before. So it's been a naked bike that's won. I mean, KTM between, lightweight won the year before in the lightweight class. No, uh, the Super Duke won the first year out, didn't it? With uh, the guy that's Chris Fillmore. Yeah. I mean, uh, but this sounds th- legit. The three, yeah, 2017. Yeah, three of the fastest bikes that come with one piece bars are all naked. The BMW, the uh, the KTM, and then now the Duck. Stop making sense, Wickens. I hate this motorcycle. <laughs> so, uh, I'm just a what, fan what? of naked bikes and sport bikes, and I like that they cross them instead of like Honda with the CB1000. They take a 
perfectly good CBR 1000 and they're like, let's slack the head tube. Let's add a hundred pounds. You know what? Let's go ahead and detune it 50 horse too, just for the fuck of it. And then we'll charge a bunch of money for it still. I like the CB 1000. I do too, but it's, why do you like, why does it have to weigh more and, and make less horsepower? I like the XSR 900. That's I, I like naked bikes bad, too. Yeah. I do like the MT 10, even though it's not hundred percent as naked as the uh, CBs are, but I yeah. do like that too. Is, I like naked they bikes. Look good. I like the Hyper Motard. I wish that would win Pike Speak once in a while, but nobody's going to race it because it's not the newest, latest, and greatest. That thing's like so ugly. It's beautiful. Yeah. The Hyper's like with that ugly duck nose. Just like my grandma. <laughs> Rip grandma. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get to another not fake news story. What's our Which uh, is next the, one that's the, not fake? The third one's not uh, fake. This is uh, Harley Davidson is rebadging a Chinese motorcycle. For Harley its Davidson 300 cc. I'm surprised nobody jumped on that one right away. I think that one. Crap. I think that one is true. I thought I read a headline. I know they're yeah, releasing little true. bikes, but I didn't okay, know it was a yeah. rebrand. Everybody read this headline on April 1st and they're like, oh, yeah. They didn't look at the date. <laughs> no, this is this is an amazing story. So Harley Davidson announced last year when they did their big reveal that they're doing all these different uh, new uh, liquid cooled engines and all sorts of dis- different displacements. They said they were thinking of a two fifty or three hundred something like that. So now they've announced that they're going to be making a bike for the Chinese markets, essentially or Asian markets, and it's a three hundred. It turns out the company that they're partnering with to make this, because they're not just making it themselves, is SSR? is the same company that makes the motorcycles. It's uh, it's essentially SSR who makes the Benelli motorcycles. So some genius at Revzilla uh, re- remembered a picture of the Benelli TNT 300 and upon looking at this concept photo for this new Harley 300, put the two side by side and realize they're the same engine, the same frame, wheels, <laughs> like suspension, brakes, everything. All they've done is change the seat, the subframe a little bit, and the fairing pieces over the radiator and the handlebars. Otherwise, it's a Benelli TNT 300 that they're slapping a Harley Davidson badge onto. Are you telling me it's going to be triple the price? Right? Are you telling me they're doing the same thing they did the Air Maki 300s back in the 70s? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like the Air Maki sprints. The yeah, the 250 and 350 sprints with that horizontal single. Yeah, they're doing the same thing with a Chinese bike again today. It, it's insane. I, I, and, Air, Air but, Maki is uh, the craziest Chinese. It, me- it means uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. That's it's funny because I mean, for the Asian market, it makes sense that you have to use an Asian motorcycle to rebrand. Otherwise, all those tariffs that you know we were talking about for the last like six years are going into effect, right? I mean, well, last four years. Well, actually, the biggest tariffs in the biggest market right now is actually. India. India, right, and that's the hardest one to get into, and that's why they have them. Yamaha that's why and Honda sell still have some absolute garbage yeah. that they push down there is because they have to make basically a, a one two five that costs about five hundred dollars to make to actually make any sort of profit once it's 
once it's paid off all the tariffs. Yeah. BMW as well. I mean, their G310 is a partnership with TVS, you know, and they mm-hmm. just mark it up for the European market. But Harley Davidson has that Haryana, um, I forget exactly what province and state and all that great stuff it is, but I know Haryana is the plant and that's why they have that there. And that's kind of why they had that plant in Thailand to get around massive tariffs yeah. over there. Yeah. If they, if, if Harley imports a motorcycle into India, there's something like a 50% tariff on it. And that's, that's kind of the reason why, um, well, it's really the reason why Royal Enfield got off the ground that everyone said, you know, as everyone learned that Royal Enfield was one of the most successful motor company, uh, motorcycle companies and one of the biggest, it's like, well, how did they pull that off? Like their bikes are garbage. Well, it turns out when everybody else has a a 50% import tax they have Mm -hmm. to pay to compete in your market and it's a country of over a billion people, it goes pretty well for you. It's the same way the Amazonas got made, uh, you know, essentially. Yes, it is. (laughs) So, yeah, my thing about this story is how Harley doesn't want to admit this and is not pushing this, not saying, hey, we'll bring a 300 over here and try to get into a younger demographic market that way. Because if the awful truth got out to some of their older customers, they they would just fucking freak. Yeah. <laughs> even and I wondered why Harley is so concerned with what old people fucking think anyway. Even after Born Free this weekend, I think the young people uh are probably there's enough there's enough uh young people trying to relive that 70s lifestyle yes. and 80s lifestyle yes, yes. that I think that even the younger gen you you got to be an extreme nerd to want like a small displacement or electric Harley at this point, you know what I'm saying? Like the Harley Harley is Harley regardless. I think, regardless of the generation. I know that they're trying to reach out and, and branch out to a new a new generation that wants different things, but uh, if you want a Harley, in my opinion, you just want a big, nice yeah, American it's cruiser. it's a brand recognition association with Harley. Yeah, you're part of the family. Right. Like, it's the same thing Ducati has, but in uh, orange and black instead of red, you know? Right? Well, and I... I mean, uh, I don't know if it's as hard. I don't know as, if it's as entrenched as it is. I really see it as entrenched in the Harley brand genre uh, I mean, following. It definitely is. I mean, because the difference I think when you're talking about Ducati is they're not really that much worse than everything else, and they they're in a market where other bikes exist that are comparable. Um, and I think Ducati is also like they're about progress and and new technology and improving their bikes whereas i don't really associate that yeah uh, ethos with harley but i mean if you think about it too like harley's tried that and no one wanted it like right, that's every time you know i've said it several times on here like to me harley has one of the biggest challenges in our industry and that is changing without changing yes like you obviously for emissions and everything, technology, like you, you have to evolve, you have to change, but Harley has to do all that. And yet they also have to stay the same. Like, well, the whole reason this succeeds is because it's only for China. 
Like it's only for Asian markets. No, right, nobody, right, nobody right. in America is going to buy an American 300. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about so like the- I have to hard disagree with all of you. You're all completely <laughs> wrong. <laughs> so, yeah. all right. So Harley Davidson has, there's this idea that Harley Davidson has always been Harley Davidson. And it's just not true. Harley Davidson hasn't oh, been sure. Harley, has only been the Harley Davidson we think of. Since like maybe the, the, the early 90s, mid-90s. When they quit it racing? It wasn't the huge, expensive, status symbol, you know, right, uh, right. ride or die, big, you know, hey, you got to be a tough biker kind of thing. It was just a regular motorcycle at, at, for a long time. Yeah. And it wasn't even seen as a very desirable motorcycle in the 70s during the AMF years when they were selling a shit ton of them because they were just kind of cheaping around and just regular motorcycles. And then guess what? A generation got old and put on rose-colored glasses, and that's where all the Harley myth ethos Mm. comes from. And those people are dying. Hell's Angels, (laughs) what, what, 2,000, 4,000, 6,000 people? Like, out of how many Harley Davidson owners? Yeah, well, on on her side, though, yeah, I mean, that that reach The image hasn't really been around as long as people think. It's not this thing that's been a part of America, like, all that long, like we think of it now. It was just a regular motorcycle until these people got old in the 90s. I knew a few angels that actually rode Triumphs, too, like. Uh, exactly. Not yeah. for angels, but um, Sonny has written a few books, and he has said that one of his biggest regrets was saying that you had to be on an American-made bike. And Sonny also owns a Goldwing, so like if he wants to ride from California to Chicago, he'll take his Goldwing, and then when he gets there, he'll borrow a Harley for yeah. for club stuff. Right. I mean, so my, my point is, is that everyone says, "Well, Harley can't change. They've got to do this thing." What this thing that they've been doing for only about 20, 25 years out of the over 100-year history of the company? No. No, they're going to change again like they've changed before, and they will continue to survive. Otherwise, the company will just fucking go out of business. I think No, they have to do stupid stuff like this. They have to sell 300s in China. They have to become more like other manufacturers. Yeah. And otherwise, there just won't be a Harley Davidson at all. Listen, everyone needs to get over it. Secretly, they have to sell Street 500 hundreds in other countries because like yeah. uh, the other shit's too expensive and what yeah, I mean why by should they feel ashamed to do it because nobody no, in America but- wants to hear about other countries problems <gasps> <gasps> this new this new segment just opened up a can of worms and that makes sense to me the market that they're taking that to makes a lot yeah. of sense to me because that you know the price wise nobody can afford a friggin 1800 CC bike over and they in don't, China. They don't have to perform as good, but they've got to be comparable. I'm surprised. The, the point is, is that Harley just needs to kind of wake up a little bit and and stop pretend. Stop. They 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 don't need to pretend that they're a company from 1950 transported into today. So many, beavers. They're scared you, to take chances. They they're scared dams. to do anything do. different. Um, and when they do do stuff different, like the XG, like the V Rod, it's it's so often a swing and a miss that I'd be scared to do anything different too. Luckily, yeah, but if they don't do anything different, they'll die. Anyway, I agree. I totally agree. <laughs> Luckily, we've been around this a few times. Yeah. We should get to our <laughs> fake story. I was going to say, <laughs> no, what was number four? Uh, you've got the list, Wiggs. What is it? Oh, we just did number four. Uh, what was yes. number four? I thought that was number right? five. Yes. Okay. So the fake Wait, story is. Did we do is- the radar on the, the AI? Oh, the a- that's right. The AI was number four. The radar was number three. 
It doesn't matter. Now We're listen. At the fake story now, which is Druid motorcycles. Yeah. Now this is amazing. This was just a complete. It's not only just a fake story. It was a real story that turned out to be fake. Hmm. So this email went around to every marketing department at every big news source to not marketing department, every, you know, every news source, every everything. And everyone just took the bait and ran with it because they wanted it to be true. And only one guy at Revzilla apparently decided to do a reverse image search and also noticed that looking at the pictures of the bike, there was no way it could ever be what they were claiming this thing was supposed to be. So the bike's called the Druid Sorcerer, which is an <laughs> insane name to start yeah. with. Oh, man, that's terrible. They claim it's a hybrid. They claim it's the world's first all-graphene frame, which is like, oh, just Wait this crazy minute. material that's I so expensive. I, yeah, I was going to say, that shit is expensive as hell. I, exactly. vague, I vaguely remember seeing this. It, it was like 3D AI technology that made yeah. the bike adapt to riders' habits. They claimed that the AI also had some sort of control about the the frame's shape. Like somehow, depending on what kind of riding you would do, the geometry of the sh- of the frame would change. So basically, they're throwing all of the tech buzzwords into one article. Exactly. They claimed it was 230 horsepower with a 200 mile oh range. God. They even got blockchain in there. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And these supposed moto journalists, like, no, like, are, uh, only one guy said, I don't know about this. Everyone else just fucking ran with it. It's amazing. Everyone, th- th- and this is, this is the thing, like, in motorcycles right now with the electric vehicle stuff and a whole bunch of other things in tech, a lot of people just want to go with the story about the unicorn farts and who cares if it's real or not because everyone wants to just shock you. Everyone wants to put a little technology TED Talk into their magazine article and sell it to you. Tech is so easy to hype up and get people excited about because most people have no fucking clue how it works. Because, like, uh, my girlfriend works with 3D printers and when uh, 3D printers were, like, really getting news articles and news specials, they're like, oh, we're going to be 3D printing arms and body parts, and it's going to be you just press a button and something comes out, and here we are like 10, 15 years later, and we're not even nowhere close to that. But just news articles and just media outlets were hyping it and hyping it, and it's the same kind of stuff. Like you throw a bunch of tech buzzwords out there that sound exciting and kind of mysterious, and people just pop on without even fact-checking. You say we're not close to it, but I have... Uh, identical J sitting here. I I uh, printed her out of meat, and she looks a lot <laughs> like you. You'd be hard uh, I'm hard sure pre- you Probably collected some of my scrap bones. Listen, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Yeah, I, I cloned your DNA and 3D printed it. But I'm telling you, there's a there's a mad scientist somewhere that has 3D printed like an earlobe or something to stitch on to somebody that lost theirs in a car accident or something. I, I, I've seen this weird stuff, but I agree. Yeah, but they made it like it would be something that, uh, like, I remember when, because uh, we own several 3D printers, and my girlfriend specifically teaches 3D printing in classes. And what happened was a bunch of schools got bought into the hype. The public school system in L.A. spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, I know, in, in OC as well, 
they got all of this technology because they thought that you could literally press a button and print these things. And so my girlfriend's a consultant. She gets to the school and she's like, uh, yeah, by the way, you know, you have to be a 3D modeler and you have to edit these models to make sure that they can print properly because there's like a geometry that has to be <laughs> like uh, watertight yeah. uh, and you're, or you're going to have holes and gaps. And they're like, what? <laughs> because no one who sold them this technology told them that part. It's possible, yeah. but you got to do the A to, A to equal B. The funny thing is that headline three, I knew about the uh, the technology, it, which again is kind of vaporware at this point, but I thought that you had doctored it and I was going to say that was the fake one because I want anybody here to name me a premium Kawasaki motorcycle. <laughs> Zing! <laughs> uh, maybe the H two R. That thing is not that premium when it comes down to it. It's Am got, I the only person in the world that just doesn't like that bike at all? It's got a supercharger, and that's about it. To me, that's what makes it lame. I'll be honest. I'm. Not, I don't think it's as cool as everyone else thinks it is. But it's. It's kind of cool. Hey, but I. I don't think the, there's room in my life for one. Hey, look yeah, at the I'm price not. too. Unless you get like the carbon. Like the H2 is pretty sensibly priced. But the H2 carbon is like where you start getting out the, you know, flying the price out the chimney, which is a term in, in Terre Haute, Scotland. Look it up. Uh, you fly the price out the chimney when you get into those higher models. But the base one's not actually all that. You know, like it's. And all they add really is a little bit of carbon fiber onto it and not much else. So premium. I was thinking like Vulcan Vaquero, anything like that. I was like, nope, Kawasaki doesn't have much like Suzuki. They don't have a premium motorcycle. <laughs> Zing. I'm kind of with you with Suzuki. Yeah. What about the Bergman? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Bergman executive. <laughs> that is executive is in technically the name. a step through. That is quite, I mean, dude... I got smoked by a dude on a Bergman 650 when, like, I was like, I didn't realize they were 650s. I saw the scooter and the guy is like virtually popping a fucking wheelie down the street because he doesn't have to shift. And I was like, what? So, Let me tell you this: the the Suzuki Bergman 650 Executive has automatic electric adjustable side mirrors. Tell me a non-premium motorcycle that has electric adjustable. Uh, but that's yeah. a, it's technically a step through scooter because if you're wearing a dress, you can ride it without having to lift your feet. So I don't consider that a motorcycle. Now, it has motorcycle wheels, has a motorcycle engine, has motorcycle controls. It, it does it has have more motorcycle things and scooter things. It does. You're right. You know what? Uh, I'd like to add to this list, and maybe maybe we can do another show where we get to do a roundtable on hot ass scooters. But the guy that does the ramming speed racing um, track day, like the teaches the track days. He was talking about uh, ripping the BMW G650C scooter or the G650, yeah, the G650C uh, yeah. scooter around uh, some track. I forget if he's talking about Chuckwalla or uh, Willow Springs, but he was talking about trail breaking that thing all the way through like this tight corner and just like getting on it. And that thing's got as much as electronics on it as the S1000RR wrapped up in a CVT tranny. And, uh, dude, it's twist and go and, you know, bullshit stops when the green flag drops at that thing. I bet, I bet you could smoke an SV650 on the Bergman and the, um, I don't know about that. Okay. No, come on. (laughs) 
I'm throwing it down right now, and I don't, I've never tracked any of these. Having ridden a Bergman, which was you know a religious experience for me almost, it's as weird as you think it's going to be. It's not super exciting, but yeah. it is it is weird and 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 strangely fun. Speak, uh, speaking yeah. of speaking now, of weird scooter I, motorcycles, my I almost picked the DNO one as my uh, worst bike this week, and then I was like, "Hey, I'll go." With but that. we've already done that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. It's but yeah, good, good. Worst bike right. uh, ever. So I I, I want to get back to just this um, thing. the The thing about the Druid story that's really shocking to me is just how bad the people are bringing us motorcycle news. If you look at the picture of this, it should be immediately apparent it's not a 230-horsepower motorcycle. It has a tiny single front disc brake with the with a little uh, two-cylinder uh, uh, brake caliper on it. The rear wheel is tiny. It's, and it's obviously just a cheap Chinese 150, which is what this picture is. You know what this it's is? It's weird... The- Chinese Speaking 150, of- and they just flipped the picture around and said, check out this thing with sort of Ninja H2 kind of styling. Well, we kind of covered a little bit on the the fallacies and misinformation in articles. Uh, Junkie, remember when we talked about tires and how the yeah. ride apart? Yeah, uh, somebody, article- yeah, somebody will take something and it just propagates across the internet like wildfire. Yeah. Like a goddamn bed bug infestation in a New York apartment complex but I, I feel like i really feel like this this whole like thing of um you know motorcyclists talking to motorcyclists besides people like us is really kind of dead there are a few like decent dudes out there but these these magazines these online sites i feel like they're just employing people who they're know more about the trick about of bikes. getting headlines exactly yeah. they know more about the tricks of getting eyeballs than they do about motorcycles and i think this is sort of a sign of the times that these these new sites are just going to completely disappear it's going to be us and YouTube. Yeah, it's yeah. just media nerds who study journalism. They probably don't even have like a real passion for bikes. A lot of these places, they just needed a job, most likely. And you know what? Well, if they're not even going to fact check, they probably didn't even study journalism. Journalism, right? And and <laughs> this this may be a little bit conspiracy theory, but the real motorcyclists are going missing. You know, the latest one is the guy that just went missing in the uh, coming back on the Honda CBR 1000 R or whatever. And it's oh like, yeah! Did you hear they found him? No, was he riding? Yeah, they he... found him. He he. I guess he like pulled over his bike to go skinny dipping, and he drowned. Oh geez, he drowned yeah. in quotes because I'm saying some of these other people that are like hard up. They used to be Instagram influencers, and then they went to blogging, and now they're like, "What do we do? We kill off real moto journals, make it look like an accident, <laughs> and we get to take over the internet and rule the world because people love idiots." Um. The Druid, let's just say it's this. It's the 21st Century Motor Company uh, version of the Dale, but in 2018, 2019. <laughs> right? Do you think the Slovakian dude that created it is secretly uh, or not so secretly a cross-dresser? <laughs> Absolutely, I do. Because <laughs> I would really complete the Dale comparison. Yeah, and he has a Quonset hut. That with like just cardboard cutouts of like a hundred of these in production, and then you go in and like a, turn on a fan, and they all just blow over. Yep, <laughs> I think I think this is it. 
Um, yeah, guys, we are uh, at an hour and a half. Should we take a quick break and listen to some sweet techno tunes from DJ uh, Thurgood Marshall? Sure. What'd you say? All right. Well, let's take a quick break. Everybody get a sip. Um, sip of your favorite beverage, stretch your legs, and guess what? If you're in Las Vegas, you owe me $23,000 because I'm playing your gig right now. Creative Writing MPC Squad, this is junk. Although the MPC challenge is over, you know what? The experience is not. I still have some stuff to send to you guys now that I am back from vacation, and I'll be trying to get that out to you ASAP. Plus, now that we've had the roundtable with the Loud Pipes podcast, we can have our own little soiree. I'll be contacting everybody soon and trying to uh, schedule that at a later date. And have a wonderful and happy and healthy July 4th. We won't be doing it next weekend. Uh, and also, if you're interested in joining our Patreon account and seeing what the insiders get, there's not a whole lot of stuff there right now. But you know what? We don't have a whole lot of patrons either. So we do with what we can. And they're the ones who actually support the show and the reason it's possible. If you want to check it out, go to uh, patreon.com forward slash creative writing. Check out what you can get by being a member. Oh, yeah. I can taste warm Carlsberg beer in my mouth right now. I think Swiggs gave me that idea. He's drinking Beck's. Uh, Wiggins, you're down in a Foster's. And Jay, I can tell that you're just taking some of that sweet absinthe. And Malort from Sweden. Pump it up. Are you guys ready to do this one? Uh-oh. Yeah. Oh, shit. All right. Enough of this shit. Let's get back to talking motorcycles. Thank you, everybody, for suffering through my DJ career. It was short-lived. So was my Instagram influencer career uh, with two followers and saying stuff like, chop the head off that horse. I just, I didn't catch on. So let's talk motorcycles. That's something I do know a little bit about. And MotoGP brought up this concept to me. It was um, talking about racing and the fact that everybody in the world, no matter where you are, should attend a race. Is that basically the gist of what uh, you're trying to tell me? Yeah, in a time where everyone seems to be going up in arms about, oh, is motorcycling dying, which it's not. Uh, and everyone's concerned about new riders and this and that. I kind of think I've been on this mindset that if you're kind of down for the cause, so to speak, the the best thing you can do as a motorcyclist, especially this year, I think racing is really starting to come back a bit this year. It's not you know really back yet, but it's starting to. Like this, this year feels encouraging to me. So the most kind of meaningful thing you can do as a motorcyclist is go to a race any kind of motorcycle race it doesn't matter which absolutely and you know what um i'm not gonna be able to get to it this year uh on this episode because this is a crossover episode but we have had several listeners uh tell us that hey uh you know jason goldmeyer who is famous for the wir top 10 bikes uh drag racing in in wisconsin they started out as just a bunch of friends that just kind of wanted to race bikes and now they're kind of growing into something they put four years into it and they're like a little series now 
And then you have people that have been racing their entire lives and they used to be something back in the seventies and now they're racing local club races. But then you have you guys, I just listened to your guys latest episode uh, today where you went around the pits at, at uh, the last Moto America race at Utah motorsports campus. Is that where it was? Yeah. And it's just amazing hearing the different stories and the different levels of commitment and the different levels of trial and error and, uh, what it actually takes to go do some of this stuff that I, I didn't know, you know, real behind the scenes stuff. Like, you know, you go pay to race in Europe to get developed, you know, basically. And then if it doesn't pan out, you're, you're out, you know what I mean? Like, and that's just money down the drain or you choose to go another way and just, uh, you pay out of pocket the whole way. You know what I mean? It was, it was amazing listening to everybody, um, that you guys interviewed has had some different fling on it. But the, the thing was, is that that was, Moto America, which isn't GP, it's not World Superbike, it's not, you know, any of that stuff. It's just it's another level of that racing. You can go to a club race. Like I, I enjoy going to the Corsa every year to watch Armor racing. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I'm sure they have the what's it called uh, the Barber Vintage Days and the Ohio Vintage Days, like AMA Vintage Days, all that stuff. To me, um, even going down on Thursday and Friday nights down here to Irwindale and watching people drag race is like legit. It just engages you that much more. I went out to watch Matt from my motorbike obsessions race out at Paris, you know what I'm saying? Just for the Southern California, uh, flat track association. All they do is race at Paris base basically. And, uh, just got to watch him race. And that's like the lowest of the lowest of the regional stuff. You know what I'm saying? So it's just, it is, it's engaging and, it lets you see that there's still a ton of people out there that enjoy what you're doing to the point where they're wrecking good bikes to doing it. They're t- taking a perfectly good showroom bike that you could ride out on a trailer, ride down the street, and they're deconstructing it and making it uh, purpose built for some other thing. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's pretty amazing. And I don't know what your guys' takeaway on racing is. Does it for you? Is it the excitement of competition? to show you that the manufacturers are engaged or for you, is it the fact that, uh, it shows you that the industry is alive and well because they don't want to race unless they're getting something back for, you know, street bikes trickle down effect. So for me, motorcycle racing is almost this magic bullet. It's one, a great indicator of just how the culture of motorcycles in any particular place is going, how, how active the racing scene is. And second, it really reinforces the community of motorcycles. You know, when you, you ride to a race, you see the other people have ridden there. Everyone's checking out everyone's bikes in the parking lot. Then you get in there, you see these guys racing and, you know, you're standing there and you see some guy who's rooting for the same, largely unknown racer that you are and there's a bond (laughs) there and also there's a huge amount of race fans that aren't riders so you get this weird thing going on i think i read something like in europe up to something like 25 percent of moto gp fans aren't motorcyclists they just really dig the series so it's a great way just sort of to promote motorcycles really in general yeah, And it's just a freaking awesome time to go see a race live. And it doesn't matter if it's kids on mini bikes or if it's Moto America or GP 
or flat track or drag racing. It's kind of like my, uh, I have this theory, you know, everyone loves guitar music, yeah. whether you like classical music, new age or Led Zeppelin, there's kind of something guitar that's for you. There, there's kind of a motorcycle racing thing for everyone. You know, you can do dirt bike sidecar shit and there's hill climbing and there's drag racing and there's straight up motocross and there's GP. I mean, there's everything, you know, like I'm not super into motocross, but I'm not against it. I've just been into enough motorcycle racing at this point, even though motocross wasn't something that initially grabbed me at this point i can see all the elements of other kinds of racing and then you know all of a sudden i'm way more interested now in motocross because of all the other parts of motorcycle race that i've been into so it's a thing that really just um uh, begets more of itself the more you do it and you just go to a race with your friends it's a freaking awesome weekend and right now going to see motorcycle racing is crazy cheap but yeah, it's one of those things where because nobody's into it, like when I had a buddy that was like talking about the LA Kings about 10 years ago, hockey, and yeah. he's like, oh, it's like 180 bucks to sit like in the, and I was like, 180 bucks to watch hockey? Like in LA? Are you kidding me? So uh, the relatively cheap price of like 50 bucks or 45 bucks to go watch the uh, Paris half mile, right? When the AM, when the AF, AMA flat track, like AFT came through here, uh, just a f- couple months ago, uh, the $10 price to go watch, uh, local flat track, the, um, virtually free. I don't think, I think it's like less than 10 bucks to get in down at right. the speedway next to me. Like, yes, it's super cheap and try to go see, you know, even if you live moments, like I live right down the street from, I can hear, I can hear the cars running at Irwindale Speedway. But if you live that far from like Eagle Stadium or something in Seattle where the Seattle Eagles play and you go there and you try to get in for $35 or $10, like I can get in, like forget about it. Right. So I just have this weird thing with like any other sport pretty much compared to racing or, um, let me see what else is really cheap. Probably like curling, like golf, like go, to go watch some dude whack a tiny little ball around a bunch of grass. If I wanted to do that, I would, you know, I'm not going to say what I would do. That's, it's going to be very vulgar, but I mean, comparatively, you're right. Racing is like one of the cheapest things you can go do right now. And you, you struck a chord with me earlier when you said the camaraderie, not only with the other people that show up to watch it, but, in the pits, you see people helping each other out, uh, especially like Arma Vintage days where there might be only one other uh, CL315 running in a class. It's like, oh, there's one other dude here on that, and I need a part. Like, they help each other out. You see camaraderie in the stands. You see a lot more rooting for, like, underdogs because it's not such a, you know, who's going to go root for, he doesn't even race anymore, but Loris Boz or something, you know what I'm saying? Like, or, or who's, who's like coming in, like Jack Miller even has like a lot of fans, but I can't even think in GP who like one of the lowest guys is that nobody probably roots for, but you see his name down there in like six. Carol Abraham. Oh, is he? Okay. So, right. So one dude in Germany is, is, uh, hoping he wins every, every week and like he's podium maybe once in his career. And so it's like, yeah, like Never that. podiumed. Dang. Never will. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry, Carol Abraham. Um, so yeah, like that, like who, who he, if he has some fans, they're obviously super hardcore, but I feel like, 
you don't want to admit to anybody that you're a Carol Abraham fan, right? And uh, so you go to these other races, and like, especially like Flat Out Friday, stuff like that, the crazy dude in the ostrich costume, you want him to win because he's the underdog, right? So definitely I think grassroots racing has like a, even a better um, camaraderie and a better just like fun factor than if you have to make it a day and go to, you know, when I go to a sports game, you have to like tailgate, you have to go in, you have to, it has to be a thing. You have to wear the Jersey when you're racing, you just show up on your bike and make friends because you're on two wheels. Right. I mean, that's the yeah. whole deal. Going to see a motorcycle race is way better now than it used to be back in the, the, the least, uh, so-called glory days, right? You go see a race now. So let's take, for example, um, when we were in Utah recently, well, now you get the full live feed wherever you're sitting. You can just watch it as if you were watching it on TV or, or your computer or whatever, and the portion of the track that you see in front of you. So whatever portion of the track you can see, you've got that part completely live, plus all the commentary and information that's coming in. And when we went to go see Moto America in Utah, like – they had TVs up with the sector times. Nice. You don't get that on the live fucking feed. Nope. I mean, we could have just sat there commentating the whole thing and would have sounded really fucking pro knowing all the sector <laughs> times, right? I it was really it was a really great way to watch the race. It was honestly way better. Yeah, you know, there are some tracks for MotoGP, for example, where you just see a bit of the straight and it's too loud, you won't be able to hear any commentary, and it's debatable whether or not it's better than watching it on TV, but you go for the live experience anyway. Yeah, A lot of the small stuff is straight up going to see it is the best way to experience it by far. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I missed Wiggs. You just qualified for X Games at the Born Free Stampede, correct? Well, that was it was the X Games qualifier. It was. I I didn't qualify though. You didn't qualify for the X Games, but no, you went. I had to win. Yeah, I had to win my semi, got a bad start, and uh the dude that was leading was just hugging the pole and I was doing That's good on the said. outside. Second place moved up to the outside, so I moved to the inside, and I was like, I'm just going to push this dude out of the way, and it didn't work so well. Right. And you know what? Hearing that coming from his mouth or even watching it on the TV is nothing like being there and smelling that little crappy stadium get filled up by— uh, Well, it was just it- like so many people going nuts. Like yeah. the heat before mine uh, was probably the most exciting because there was a lot of swapping for the lead. And then mine too, like uh, everyone said, like, cause I was throwing it in the outside. Like it was just, it was throwing a roost in and out of the corner. So like people were kind of going nuts that I was on the outside trying to make the passes. And then when I went down low and like tried to push the dude out of the way, like everyone went nuts. Yeah. Like, it, 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 there's just so much more t- like, you're just in there with so many people yeah. that are into the same thing and that same like moment yeah. and you can't, it's not the same when you're on TV when you're watching it. Right. I was going to say you can watch something at home and unless you're a sociopath that doesn't have uh, emotions or empathy, the feeling of, of something is palpable. And Phil from Cleveland Moto commented on, I had posted some stuff up about, you know, cause I was like keeping tabs. I was listening to Manx radio when the Alamano was going on. And after um, Daily Matheson, crashed and and it was known that he died he said there was a palpable feeling around the island like they there was a general sadness passing through because as humans were the thing is as humans 
we tend to be gregarious, right? And we tend to um, seek the sort of thing. It's the whole reason social media is big. We want to feel what other people are feeling. And when you're at a race like that, you do that. Whether or not it's your buddy that you're racing for, maybe your guy got bumped out, but that palpable feeling of like a of a uh, community R ooh moment, you don't get that when you're watching it on the TV. And you you can get it because you might be like like when you were saying. Um, Pete, I think you're saying that you were like watching motocross. I w- I've gone to a few supercross events. I love motocross too. Uh, out here at Glen Helen, we have a really good track and there's a GP that comes through once a year. That's part of like the international circuit. Right. And you go out there and you, you, I, I don't know anything. I don't know any, I'm not an MX fan at all as far as like knowing who anybody is, except for that I hear the same names pop up in a now and then, but you go out there, you don't have to be a fan. You watch it and it's just action everywhere on the track from first place to last place. These dudes are duking it out over some of the craziest terrain. And you're going, I'm going to jump in here real quick and excuse you all from the rambling that's about to go on. The point I was trying to make, and I started to really just get off track because I have one of those minds that is full of this thing called uh, ADD. And I start thinking about things visually and it starts to affect what I'm saying, what's coming out of my mouth. So the point I wanted to make about all of this is that I don't know anything about motocross. You don't have to know anything about any discipline of racing. You go there, the emotions that you feel because you're not a sociopath and you're around other people that are having a good time and ooing and aahing over the same sort of things allows you to be part of the action and enjoy the sport. It's not like going to a golf tournament where you have to know who's playing and like to watch guys hit this tiny ball into a hole. And uh, you, you, it's a much more actionable sport. So it's easier for you to get into what's happening out there on the track, no matter what type of track it is. That's the point I was trying to make. I don't know how much longer I ramble on on here, but I will spare you the details and fast forward to when somebody has something intelligent to say. Circle, dirt, pavement, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's a totally great thing. And it's butt-ass cheap, like you said. And you never know what's going to happen either. Like you, you know, you were saying earlier about someone who's never podiumed and never will, but I got to meet Jeffrey Carver before he had won a race. And before really he was even such a big name in flat track. So I'm like rooting for this guy who's like all season getting better, getting better, getting better, getting better. And then goes out and wins a race. And it's like absolutely insane. I actually, the coolest thing I remember was being at X games, uh, two years ago, we were in a parking lot at mall of America Sammy Habert takes off and like leads this main by, I don't know, half a lap almost. And then in second place is like Jeffrey Carver. So like everyone's going nuts because they're like, dude, who's in second? And I'm like mm-hmm. looking and I'm like, holy shit, like Carver's in second place at the X Games right now. Like we're going crazy mm-hmm. because he was just so cool. Like with all the hooligans and stuff, we got to know him. So like, you know, and I had got to know him really before most of those guys. But so we're just like rooting for him. And then all of a sudden, like, he's second at the X Games or was in second. He ended up fourth because he got a flat. But, like, so it's cool. When is, he was one of the only dudes to beat Jared Meese last year when he was on this crazy tear, you know? Like, yeah. It was pretty exciting. And the year before, um, and actually, he's the last win for Harley Davidson right now and the last uh, win on an XR750 also. So it's cool because, like, you know, you go if you're going to those races and you're, you're finding people and you're rooting for people, you don't know – when they're going to podium or win or, you know, just have a better day. So maybe you root for that back marker 
and they never make the main event and all of a sudden like they make a main event like you it's like sports teams you know like it's a victory for you too in a way you know yeah, yeah. you have to follow the story yeah people so on the flip side of that oh yeah yeah there was uh, the two big moments that stand out to me are uh this year at Austin watching Marquez crash out after being undefeated in America for <laughs> like, like 10 GP straight. Yeah. But he went down right in front of us too. It was amazing. Yeah. That was a big moment. Um, the other was actually, uh, down at, um, in Utah. Uh, we'd kind of, we'd, uh, we had interviewed, uh, Chuck Giacchetto, on Westby Racing, mm-hmm. and we'd met him a couple times before down in Austin. And we, as we were going around, we kind of we watched the superbike race just from outside their garage, uh, just off the feed. Oh, and cool. we were there when Matthew Skoltz crashed out of race two. Mm. So we actually it's got heavy. to we got to see the whole experience of what happens in the garage. When somebody totals a superbike, <laughs> Matthew Skulls is a fast dude too. I mean, he's one of the guys, like one of the few guys I know in AMA, just because like he's a you know he's a, a top notch rider. And Chuck Chiquetto, although he sounds like a pretty laid back dude, he, well, let's just put it this way: he sounds laconic, but I'm sure there was some choice words flying out of his mouth when the bike's cartwheeling down the track. He was very calm. Okay. He was the one that had to be calm while everyone else like losing their kind of lost their yeah. shit. Yeah. I mean, Matt was just swearing and wanting to throw things and it was funny. Like, well, not funny, but interesting. You know, they, they sit down with him and there's a guy just writing down everything Matt said about the crash. They're like, we got to record what happened. Like they have a procedure. Full on debriefing. But they have to go through this procedure while everyone's losing their shit because this horrible thing just happened. It's crazy. Yeah. But I was going to say, like, you know, that's part of getting into the story of it. And when you get into the story of any racing league in particular, it doesn't matter what which one it is, it gets 10 times better. People wonder, well, why was NASCAR so big in the 90s? Right? They're, oh, they're, they're just going around in a circle, just turning left. Yeah, because of the fucking stories. story, and that's yeah, why I mean, WWE was a, even a thing. You know, like who cares about dudes in their underwear grabbing each other? It's the story. It's the fact that it was a soap opera for dudes from Terre Haute for so <laughs> right. long. I always and in joke. racing, you can't just make up the stories. Yeah, it's true. dudes going fast on the track. What's I always more joke about it's more real the hooligan stuff because everyone's like, oh, like you know, with its future and with its whatever it is and, and love it or hate it. Like I always joke that I'm like, it's more and should be more of a WWE than it is racing. Like it's more of an entertainment thing. And what makes it cool is like the stories of the riders. And now, you know, we had 120 people last week, but you know, so now obviously that's growing. So you're not going to know all the riders, but for the longest time it was like, you know, I don't even, I don't even run like a, a fiberglass, typical flat track tail on my bike because I'm just like, that's what everyone runs. Like I want my bike to stand out and be different. And it kind of gives, you know, honestly, my bike probably seems to have more of a story than I do, at least with what people recognize. So it's, you know, I I joke about it, but that's really what's kind of helped us out and made everything kind of grow was 
the story and the personalities were almost bigger, you know, were almost larger than life compared to a lot of racing. And you're right. Like that's when NASCAR was huge was, you know, Dale senior and stuff, but there was just this story and this passion and these people. And that's why everyone was a fan. Yeah. The rivalries and everything too. You guys are the Carol Abrahams of AFT, but the stars of hooligan racing. And I think (laughs) maybe Carol Abraham needs to think of that and start like a separate, you know, drop out of the majors dude and start like a total thing you know what like in europe you were talking about the uh you know in europe how different these sports teams are and i brought this up to wigs before i said because i was we were talking about this like during the whole doom and gloom and all the adult round tables that people were allowed to go to that we missed out on and it was like yeah the motorcycle industry is tanking blah 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 um but the racing and i i uh, you know, other industries don't aren't feeling it, and I and I think I brought up to Wigs like, what if we brought team like is it, would a, would a way to be bring a motorcycle racing to the forefront be to quit having these individual things and bring like each city would have a team that raced in like a national league like for for flat track is what I was thinking because that's the easiest one to get a bunch of dopes. I mean, have you ever heard of Speedway? <laughs> I've heard of Speedway and not in the States. I mean, just because of no, Europe. I mean, that's how, yeah. But that's how Europe does it. I mean, exactly. there's and literally teams in towns. And that's how Europe does football. That's how Europe does cricket. I mean, everything that is super popular. That's how the States do football. Well, I'm saying football, meaning soccer oh, in Europe. Okay. Like, you know, everybody's always talking about their teams. Uh, hooliganism. I mean, the word hooligan, if you say it uh, across the pond, they don't think of motorcycles. Well, there's actually a team Something yeah. hooligans. Uh, probably the, the hooligan hooligans. Well, no, if, if, if you say a hooligan in uh, England, they're thinking of some dude dressed up in like, you know, Manchester United gear, kicking ass on somebody that's like from Chelsea. Or you know what I'm saying? Like hooligans over there are people that are football fans that beat right. up other teams' uh, fans. <laughs> and so I think for the, for the racing thing, team racing would be such a rad thing. First of all, uh, if each city had a team, I think it would make, uh, make motorcycling more, uh, people more aware of it. Cause I think that's the only reason like well, stick and ball sports actually work. Cause they're so lame to watch who likes we basketball can, we can, stick and ball sports work because there's a, there's enough of an, an establishment behind the sports because there's a nonstop row of superstars and whenever the economy gets bad racing goes out first because it's expensive to do yeah yeah but you know things are on the bounce back now so racing is back on the rise in general i mean the first time we went to austin i what the place was a quarter full a third full for moto gp swigs yeah i I would say that the fan the, the stands were less than Less than a quarter full for the actual MotoGP. I mean, we just uh, snuck into premium wow. seats that first year and yeah. no one gave a shit. Yeah. And and now it's it's just like packed up. It's, it's You can't get over the bridges. It's just a sea of people. Right. Like, it's all on the rise. And now's a great time to get in it. So when, when you start supporting a series, you start creating superstars. And then you have someone to follow. Now, we don't have any big American motorcycle racers right now. Mm-mm. So, again, one of the reasons everyone should go to a race this year is to help us make 
some fucking superstars. Are you saying because all of a sudden little kids grow up wanting to be racers, wanting to ride, and all of a sudden people's moms aren't so against it because there's this you know nice charismatic charismatic guy on TV. You know, if what if we had an American Valentino Rossi? Now listen, I will tell you for motorcycles. I will tell you that Graham Jarvis, although he's not American, is like top of the notch when it comes to hard enduros and world uh what's the um wss we actually we do have he does trials doesn't he we do no eliminating flat track because it's primarily american we do have an american um very near the top of a world motorcycle racing we have Cody Webb, who's a fabulous hard enduro guy. We have Colton Haker, who is also a really good hard enduro guy. But who watches like I'm talking like Erzberg, Romaniacs, the ISDE? Well, even the ISDE is kind of chumpy because they usually get like a lot of dudes, like um, a lot of motocross and supercross dudes, to do that stuff. They don't have a good six days. Team. And I'm talking Speedway, which is also like pretty well an unknown in the states. Yeah. But I mean, as far as like off-road stuff, we do have good racers, <laughs> but uh, the, we have the, great racers, but they're not superstars. They're yet. not superstars. And the fact is, is that motocross Especially for road racing, we don't. Yeah. For road racing. Absolutely. Are you saying PJ Jacobson? And I mean, Josh Heron, I love Josh Heron. He is a true street hooligan and he went out on his, you know, stock, uh, R1S that one time, you know, the one time that the truck didn't make it. I mean, I love stories like that, but that is still not international. You know what I'm saying? But it's on, close to being though. It is. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're only a few years away. Now's a great time to start following the series because it's all on the up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. I, I agree. Mean, that, I mean, what's the attendance been at the, the hooligan races over the last four years? Oh, I mean, uh, more than AFT could even dream about. They, uh, I haven't heard a number post, but they thought before the thing on Thursday, they said there'd probably be over a million views of it online. Wow. Right. It's all on the up. And now's a great time to get in and just, you know, make sure you, you know, know the names, know what's going on. Right. Like going through and, uh, you know, seeing this whole list of kids in, uh, the, the lower class in Moto America right now, I'm like, man, I'm going to sound like such a know-it-all bastard in six years when these guys are all seasoned racers. Right. And I know their whole backstory and when they won their first races and all that. Right. Go back I'm going to be uh, that guy. Yeah. Like when James Stewart and Travis Pastrana were like the same age or whatever, they were coming up and it's like now, like I used to follow those guys. So they used to be the same age and now they're different ages now they're different ages no, they're, uh, i meant what i meant to say is when they were racing together i think they were the i think they were the same age him pastrana and one other dude that i can't think of that were like all hot hot uh shit is that the word i'm looking for at the time but yeah you need to go look at the junior leagues right now the problem is you got to go to spain or somewhere like that you're not gonna hopefully some of these u.s kids that are just kicking ass like in the in the uh the rookies cup is that what it's called is it the red bull rookies cup here in uh Moto America, or is it the uh, li- the Liquid Molly? Liquid Molly, that's right, that's what it is. So the Liquid Molly Cup, I like those. I like the long surfer dude. I forget what his name is, like Shane Ungvar or something like that. And uh, the guy Rocco, no, not Rocco. What's his name? 
Yeah, Rocco Landers. Oh yeah, Rocco Landers. He's like he's like Ripper. He's in first. The Shane dude and the other long haired bro guy. I forget his name, but they were always like second and third. Those top three guys were like first, second, and third in every race. And it's like these are gonna be dudes to look at in super sport in like what two years, three years, and then yeah, exactly super stock and you know, eventually, you know, super sport. Or even uh, or, uh Drake. Drake Beauchamp? No, the kid uh, the Drake or whatever Drake I, the rapper I'm, from Canada no, I'm trying to remember his last name <laughs> out, of, out of Tennessee but he did the Red Bull Cup for a couple of years went over to Europe um, oh Drake Fitzgibbons he's like he actually, he's like 6 years or 16, 17 now yeah he was um, kidnapped and uh, he works on a winery now or something like that and he's given up motorcycling altogether that happened about uh, 6 months ago but uh, that's a sad story. That's a, that's a part of motorcycling that, like, you're, like a Johnny Rock Page story, where you're going to come back in ten years and be like, "Yeah, motorcycling was a part of this person's life," but now they're like, just bizarre. Um, Your stories are bizarre, <laughs> and half of them are fake. Right. Um, yeah, no, I you agree. Know, I was going to say uh, another thing. Um, you know why? Do, why as a motorcyclist, you know, even if you're just some like Harley bro, should you go to a race? Well, you know, you've already said in this episode, Wigs and. And Jay, like we we don't ride for commuting transportation in this country largely. I mean, a lot of the people on the show right now commute and and whatever and, and make it a big part of our day to day lives. But the general public doesn't. So in places like Malaysia, yeah, you don't have to worry about supporting a motorcycle scene because it is just a day to day part of life, yeah. right? If we don't support car racing, cars don't go away in America, right? Yeah, that's true. So. So, you know, motorcycling really exists to be uh, manifest in its pinnacle form as a sport in the, in the U.S., right? Right. As soon as the first that, that rascal, is, as soon as the first two rascals were built, you know there was a race on them. It's just the fact that there's more than one of something that, that makes you want to be competitive. It's a human's nature to be competitive. Just two wheels just makes right, it that much I, better. Like I said, the the racing scene is a great overall indicator of the direction things are going. Right. So if you kind of support motorcycles in general, you should really be supporting racing. And if you don't think you're going to be into it, I think you'd really be shocked if you if you started looking up some old races, get caught up on a series on YouTube or whatever surface, and then just go to a race. It's amazing how quickly someone can be swept up into it. Like, mm-hmm. for here's a great example. When we were in Utah, we were standing right next to some people sitting at a table watching the races. And um, the people sitting there just happened, you know, they were there because they were the neighbors of one of the racers. They were like, yeah, we grew up right next to, uh, um, I think it was Bovia. They said, like, used to be their neighbor. He was the yeah. neighbor kid, right? This is like 60-year-old couple. And they just brought a friend with them. And their friend was just asking all these questions that sounded insane to me. Like, this is basic shit. How does, how, why is this person here and doesn't know this? And I thought, well, you know, this is fantastic, right? This person's here just immediately swept up into all of this, just constantly asking these questions, trying to, you know, know as much about what's going on as possible. And they didn't know jack shit. Like five minutes like, you ago, know, They're right. connected to someone who's directly connected to one of the racers. They come to this race, but they're just, they don't know anything, but they're just immediately swept into it. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah, that it, it is. You're, it is yeah. amazing, and it and it is one of those things that you don't need to be an expert on. Like you're saying, you show up and you start learning that moment, and you get into it. Like when I first started watching any racing, I knew jack shit about it. And actually, jack shit would be a nice racing team. I'm gonna put jack shit on my next uh, set of leathers. Well, that's actually kind of how where I am because I'm a total noob to racing. Yeah, I, mean, I don't. I have much knowledge it pales in comparison to everyone on this episode on this show but and you went I out and got, got like a moto gp pass yeah no so i like totally uh it i'm bitten by the bug i'm trying to get caught up and it's just the excitement of watching it like on our tv we were just it went by so fast because we were just every moment we were just like oh shoot did yeah. you see that and we were like you know, it's it's like um, for a lot of sports teams or a lot of games like, you know, basketball and football and all that, like what you have in common with the team usually is you live in that city, right? Or yeah. And there's people that are fans of teams where they don't live there, but that's, you know, but that's usually what binds people to the that team and then they fall in love with that sport because like it's the same as like your high school basketball team even though you didn't play basketball or whatever it is well for motorcycle racing you know to me way more than car racing because you you know cars everyone has a car at least in the united states you know and then there's obviously people that are more into cars but motorcycling for us that is our connection to all of those racers and to all of those fans so it's almost like that you know for us i guess it'd be the dodgers or the angels or whatever you know where you have that connection well you have that connection with those people on the track because you both love motorcycles Hmm. so you're already like connected to them and that's what's going or that's one of the things that's going to help like get you into it and get you hooked is that you already have that like weird connection yeah. of you know if, loving motorcycles. Yeah, and if I was 86 years younger, I could be Valentino Rossi. That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah, when you do pick a favorite racer too, it's not just because they're from your area. It's cuz you connect with their story and their riding style. Mm-hmm. And you just really dig what they do. Yeah. So when you go down to GP and stuff and these guys are, you know, they've spent hundreds of dollars for a shirt and a hat that match their racer and stuff. And they are fucking diehard. And when you watch your guy go down, like it hurts so bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I should say, though, Jake, you know, having the uh, the GP subscription, I say, you know, kind of counts. Like we were talking with Jake Gagne in Utah about how, you know, the crowd is there for Moto America, but it's different. Most of the crowd is online, Mm. you know, and like they kind of need to find a way to represent that live at the track. You know, there needs to be like a counter on the wall. That's like this many fucking people are watching. (laughs) Um, Or yeah, you know what? Like, um, I, I agree that they just to let people know that their your audience isn't just what's here in front of you. You might as well be racing in a in a green screen arena, you know, if that's the wave of the future, how the future is going to be is like just people, everybody's streaming online. But you need to know that those people are out there cheering you yeah, on. I mean, that's what's pretty awesome about it is especially since I, I'm like I'm a broke biker. Uh, and so literally you know, <laughs> right in more ways than one. 
And, um, you know, spending that money, though, to me was worthwhile because it's just motorcycling is something that I'm passionate about. I say it all the time on the podcast, but me and my girlfriend, girlfriend, we wake up, we talk about motorcycles, go to bed, talk about motorcycles. I think about motorcycles probably 90 percent of the day and I'm always learning and stuff. So it just felt natural to get that pass. Right. You're you're reenacting that stupid uh MV Augusta ad and your, your girlfriend thinks you're getting all hot and bothered but you're, you're, you're actually just thinking about that motorcycle um, yeah, yeah. I mean I, yeah I had to research that after you guys mentioned it yeah so but, yeah no but seriously like just uh, it was just kind of like getting the pass kind of was exciting for me as far as it felt like another like notch on my belt for like my motorcycle uh you know, passion, just, you know, not just owning multiple motorcycles and working on my own motorcycles. And like now like watching these races and getting into it and learning, like when I discovered this world and like hearing Wiggs talked about it, talk about it really got me into it too, because he gets so excited and, Mm. and passionate. And I'm really drawn to people who are on that level and that energy with me and like listening to him talk about the flat tracking. I was like, Oh, okay. Like, I had never really considered that before. And so I watched a few of those races online. And I was just like, this shit is dope, you know. And and so I think it's definitely, I agree with what you said, Junkie, about, like, representing the people who are watching it online. Because I'll never be able to afford to, like, go to something as big as GP in person. But, like, watching it online, you know with a big screen TV, you feel like you're there. (laughs) Well, the irony is cheaper than you think. We all, we, we go for an entire week, a group of us, and we spend what? 400 bucks each, 500. And we get the best seats they have. Wow. Yeah. And that's, Gas riding down there as well. Yeah, it's a gas to ride two thousand miles. But we do it cheap. We camp out. Like it's it's oh, yeah. it's it's, it's pretty. Yeah, if you can if you can make it out, just the plane ticket and an extra like two hundred bucks. Like we can get this done, Jay. That's good to um, know. And I fuck a plane. I'm a ride. Well, and it's something. <laughs> right, yeah, that, <laughs> it's something too that if you've never been you you save up for it like it's you make it a vacation especially because you and your girl are both so into it like if you've never been to a gp race like you just save for it and that's your vacation next year is to go to austin and go to the race because it is absolutely insane and the cool thing with austin there's a lot of moto america so there's a lot of other racing too but it's crazy there's just no explanation. Like you can watch it on TV all you want. And it's, you know what? The cameras are cool. The commentary is cool. You got all the good views, but until you see the bikes and you really kind of grasp how fast they're going and how loud they yeah. are. And it's, there's you, well, you guys, there's just no on my bucket list. For yeah. 2020, so <laughs> there's just <laughs> no way around it. It's so exciting. Yeah. Have you the campsite, the the campsite there's is a video. Okay. <laughs> there's a video of a kid, uh, like a little toddler, and he's at the GP, and like you hear one of the bikes like start up and rev its engine. And the, have you seen this video, this clip of him where he oh. just like his eyes are popping out of his head and he's like shaking? That's like, called fear, Jay. That's uh, <laughs> that's not that's not what you want kids to happen. Yeah, you want them to be excited. You want the smile. <laughs> His diaper got three times bigger than normal. No, but yeah, yeah that's it. Start him young, you know, start him young. Yeah. I, 
at Austin, the campsite is almost as much of a treat as the racing is itself. Yeah. When you get there, because there's so many people who come up in massive trailers, and of course they bring all their weird shit because mm-hmm. it's MotoGP. Well, so and they know awesome. they're, they're going to be there for three days surrounded by other people who don't want to do anything but talk about motorcycles mm-hmm. for 72 hours straight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think there's one guy who just always brings like two or three blackbirds, yeah. including a blackbird quad that oh, he made. Jeez. <laughs> uh, all sorts of ridiculous is yeah, jet powered shit. And yeah, yeah. There, yeah, there's, there's jet turbine bikes. Mm. There's uh dudes with old, like eighties GP bikes that they've bought and shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. 500 oh, yeah. CC V4, two strokes. And, um, what was that? Oh, and, um, what's the, the three wheeler? The no. Oh, the, like the gyro. Oh yeah, <laughs> one of those popped up for sale in sp- in the springs. Actually, I need to talk to you about that after we're done here. Okay. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we, um, yeah, the the when when you go, you go to be amongst your people. But that doesn't have to be GP. That's any local race, oh, any yeah. anything. You Are go you, to be amongst your people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. You know what? Even so, if, even if I even if I was like an old dude on a cruiser, uh, I would just watching people push two wheels to the limits is like so crazy. You know, if I if I flew Cessnas or like Boeing's for a living, I'd be like, oh man, look at these guys like doing this air racing. You know, like the Red Bull air races. I whatever it was, it would just I would be like, wow, look at these guys that take what I do and just push the limits on this stuff, whether it's a straight line or. Uh, Road racer, what the hell? Pikes you don't have to be a squid to be into racing. Like you see Harley dudes at GP and stuff. Hey, we see Harley dudes I at got, the track. <laughs> I got smoked at Willow Springs by a soft tail on when I was on an RC fifty one. In the parking lot. Just go. saying. Total total race bike soft tail, but uh yeah, I mean it's it's good. I mean, you're you're right. Like the the pits are full of all kinds of different bikes. Because people, you know, motorcyclists, a lot of motorcyclists love motorcycles. Yeah. You know? And if I hear, if I'm hearing MotoGP correctly, the barometer for uh, motorcyclists is rising because uh, the attendance at races is going up. That's what Wayne Rainey was hoping to do with, uh, and the Crave Group was hoping to do with Moto American. It sounds like it's happening. And maybe in another 10, 15 years, we'll have another champion. I heard Ben Spees is coming back and, you know, maybe he'll give some insight to some people. Maybe we'll have another uh, American and G- GP since uh, PJ Jacobson. And um, I think Josh Heron might have tried it for a little bit and just didn't, or not Josh Heron, Cambobier, I think, yeah, went over to for a little bit and it just didn't work out. That's super, that's like World Superbike. Is that what um, I'm thinking of? Josh Heron did do a couple uh, Moto2 races, though. That's what I thought, yeah, and I thought it didn't work out. <laughs> Um, but yeah, hey, it's 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 the future. It's what's happening for so sure. What kind of time are we running at? Right we're now? at a we're we're heading on a <laughs> two and a quarter. And uh, before we build, <laughs> what time is it for you guys? Good. Yeah, wait, where are you guys yeah, we, at again? Utah. What? Where, where are you guys at, at again? Terre Haute, Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, before we bounce out of here, I wanted to get a quick. I wanted to go around the room and see uh, a little bit of what everybody's working on and what's happening. Because I know I just got back from vacation and my mind is totally blown. But Jay, most of all, while I was on vacation, I get a picture of a uh-huh. cast 
And I want to know what's happening with you real quick. Uh, well, I mean, if anyone follows me on Instagram, I got hit by a car last week. So I'm currently in a entire leg cast. My ankle was broken and my tibia was broken as well. Um, the good news is that the hardware that I had from a previous accident um, <laughs> seems to have prevented the, the tibia fracture from being a, a compound fracture. So that's good. Um, you're, like bad a, news, you're like a pipe, yeah. pipe cleaner because it's bit, just oh, bent yeah. your leg in that shape now, though. Yeah, I've had so many broken bones. It's insane. Evil Kajibos um, Burger. That's you. why when I was like in the hospital, I was like, okay, here we go again. I know this whole routine. But um, the, the I don't know, I don't want to say bad news, but potentially bad news is the banana might be totaled. Yeah. So I'm having my fingers crossed that it isn't, but uh, if if it is, I'm just probably going to do salvage title because I fucking love that bike and I cannot let it go. So, yeah, I'm uh, hopping around on crutches in a wheelchair and uh, doing a lot of art. So if anyone wants to buy some art to support because I have zero income, I was working two part-time jobs and I had no health insurance. So I'm a bit on the foobard side. <laughs> so if you want to help support a, a down motorcyclist, please go to my Instagram, uh, SlayJ666, and buy some of my art. Because that's how I'm trying to get some money together to pay some bills. Yeah. Are you you going to do like a MotoFam thing or like an Indiegogo um, GoFundMe? It's hard. I really I hate asking for money. Like, I just, I don't want to be that person. Um, Wait a minute. Every but... every week you storm into this podcast, <laughs> straight up asking, where's my money? And now you're, well, now you're injured and you're afraid going. to ask for money. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I hope that the banana, I hope that it, um, like, you know, we had a big, long text conversation. I know from experience that you can buy it back or, or just, you know, pay off the deductible or whatever it is and keep the bike. Um, if it does total, but yeah, salvage title is going to be hard to, um, resell it and they won't give you probably full coverage, but they will give you whatever the the minimum level of liability that they need to let you ride it on the actual street. But yeah. it's just going to be for everyone else that you run into. It won't be for you anymore, but, uh, at least you can keep it and you can just track that mofo. You're already talking about that. You know, a few months, a couple months ago, tracking it. Yeah, now, yeah. now you don't have to be so. scared. It's already been. Yeah, <laughs> if you're willing to buy it back after you've already totaled it, I don't think resale value or worrying about ever having to sell it's a big concern no. here. Absolutely, yeah. It feels like you and this bike are just married for life. Yeah, you you already own it. You don't have any more payments on it, and really, the insurance that you have is going to be. Uh, I wouldn't say dirt cheap because I don't know if they're going to jack up your premium. But well, uh, yeah, 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 you're not worried about full coverage on yeah. a bike that's worth fifteen hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I definitely, one way or another, I'm going to keep the bike because I love that bike and I have a lot of good memories on it, and I want to continue making memories on it. Yeah. But uh, I'm going to be in the cast for probably two to three months. The doctor said. So that's what the uh, lead actor in the play Hamilton said too. I'm going to be in this cast for two to three months and then they switch cities. Um, Swigs, all dad jokes aside, uh, I know you took a spill. You cartwheeled the, uh, the Futura, right? And, uh, how's that thing coming along? Is that thing 
salvage title? Uh, you gonna track day it now? Uh, it's actually in pretty good condition, all things considering. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, it didn't even crack the fairings. Nice. It, it ripped a mirror off. Yeah, it, all you did was just completely scratch up irreplaceable fairings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't say yeah, that there's a whole a, lot of Futuras out there. If you throw a vinyl wrap on it, nobody will ever be able to tell it was down. Nice. Yeah. Well, it, except for the fact that there's a vinyl wrap on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's. <laughs> it'll be it's like, it'll be like one thing. of those like uh, CBRs or GSXRs that you get that are like black fairings or painted fairing, like primer fairings, and you're like, oh, this was cartwheeled how many times? Oh, it's parked next to a Jixer with spray painted fairings yeah, right now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm liking this vibe already. So, any anything, any plans to revive it, or what are you gonna do? Are you gonna take it to Earl Shive and just have him rape and tape, tape and rape? Uh, I'm probably just going to. Yeah, I'm probably going to just uh, fix the mirror and uh, come up with some sort of vinyl wrap for it and just clean it up because really the damage is cosmetic. Yeah. So, Wiggins, she'll live again. Wiggins, what? Yeah, what did I? Me do? and MotoGP. Well, you haven't ever crashed, and me and MotoGP were talking about every single person on every damn podcast has crashed. Uh, I haven't crashed well. since having a podcast. <laughs> to me, crashing is a very relative term. Have I ever like crashed and been seriously hurt on the street? No, um, but I race, so he liter- he I, I have little crashes all the time. Yeah, but we were talking. Racing doesn't count, and I it, well, that's what I mean. It's it's. So it depends what you mean by crash. Listen, Wiggs is like uh, the Pacific plate. Right, if you're into plate tectonics and geology, was there and all a part of don't, the bike don't touching the ground besides me. the wheels and kickstand? No, I'm just saying Wiggs, on the streets that you're like a you're like a. I feel like you're gonna jinx me. You're having a bunch I, of little. I don't know, I know if I like I know, it right now. You're you're having a bunch of little earthquakes rather than the big seven point two is what I'm saying. Well, what you're saying is the big seven point two is coming. No, I'm just saying that you have and little ones, and I don't like that. I don't like you talking no, like that. Wiggs, you're gonna be fine. You're gonna be fine. <laughs> No, I mean, oh, you know what? I'm uh, I'm a weird like, <laughs> uh, not necessarily on the street, but like even on the track, like I'm, I I I do push myself for sure, but I'm I'm a person that really works up to my ability, um, and I know a lot of people, especially in hooligan flat track, holy fuck, that just super ride out of their ability, and it, it mm-hmm. it's you know and that checkers or wreckers you know what i mean so <laughs> and i was never that person because honestly i hate working on motorcycles like i fucking hate it i do it out of necessity <laughs> and so if i don't crash i don't have to work on my bike as much lazy so, racing okay, we're not talking about we're not talking about crashing during racing yeah. so on the street i have yeah. laid a motorcycle down twice on the street the first time I put a brand new rear tire on, and uh, it was the first time in my life I had put a brand new tire on, and uh, I left my house and I crashed a block from my house, and I uh. had frame sliders on, and it put two little scratches in my fairing, and that was it. I wasn't hurt, nothing. It was all good. Well, um, I've crashed before as well, but I haven't crashed since I've started a podcast. Yeah, so have neither. you crashed on the street since you've been doing the show? No. I feel like having a podcast is my saving I've, grace. I literally, like I said, I've crashed twice on the on the street in my whole life. That well, was the Jeff, first you time. Know what I was thinking, and the second the time, podcast, right? Yeah, 
still less okay, than good. most people ever. Well, what we're saying is you're part of the club. We oh, think people we who haven't crashed. That you, me, and Junkie might be the only three podcasters that haven't crashed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Don't jinx it. Don't jinx it. Yeah, yeah. A junkie, you know what I, said? I don't, though, and I don't want to crash here, man. I like riding on the freeways in LA. I don't want to crash. Fuck that. Yeah, yeah Jay's. I mean, even it. fucking Emma's like bit it, like you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Emma, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jay, what were you gonna say? I was gonna say, you know, I was just thinking uh, today that it was on a Tuesday, and there was we didn't record last Tuesday, and I was like, at that exact time, I would have been headed towards your place. So things could have gone totally differently. Yeah, you could have made it here because you were like, yeah, I just want to go. Yeah, instead of going wherever the heck you got. Yeah, Podcasts save lives. Podcasts keep <laughs> you from crashing. Well, not Jay, but most people. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm exempt for some reason. I'm a, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> we need you for our bi-weekly crash segment, and I've actually made a deal with Royal Enfield. I'm sorry, with your all <laughs> to get you a sidecar that you can ride. And uh, I talked to Can-Am, and they are maybe going to loan us one because the, the, on those ones, you don't need to shift with your broken well, hoof. Well, the thing that I'm bummed about is we were supposed to go to the women's sport bike rally, and we held off on buying tickets until literally a week before my crash. And uh, now I can't go, and I was, re- I was really excited about doing that. And I was also going to race my first time this year, too. And I got oh, I Jesus. got uh, bounced out of that. Listen, so. I got a I got a decent wig, and when I shave, I look pretty feminine. I'll take your play. I'll take your ticket <laughs> and go for you, and we'll see what we can do. Uh, Moto Moto GP, you got yeah. anything on the horizon that you're gonna do motorcycle related that's uh, dependent on this summer? I don't know if it's technically this this summer. But the only thing that's really on the docket for me is on the docket for Swigs as well. I think our last big trip we're going to do this year is to go to the AIM Expo again, which is in September, like early September, I think. Yeah, you guys are you guys are a little closer to Ohio than me, so I don't think I'm going to make it this year. Yeah, it seems like not a lot of people. It's going to be like us and Bruce from This Motorcycle Life probably and like maybe Chuck from The Wheel Nerds. Yeah. And, uh, well, I mean, hey, this uh, it's it's in Ohio, so I mean, if Cleveland Mona doesn't make it out, I'll be shocked. But there's not going to be a huge amount of representation. Yeah, it's true. Cafe Racer guys tend to go, but it, that's because it was in Florida, and I know Steve lived there, and I don't know if they went when it was in Ohio before. I think it's been in Ohio uh, the year before it was in Vegas. But yeah, uh, yeah, you guys are lucky. I'm not going to do that. That's that's a ton. Of, that's a bull, bunch of bullshit. They they put it in the middle because. <laughs> It's basically for, um, you know, it's for dealerships and stuff like. It's not like the IMS show where it's about getting the new bikes out to the public. And being in Ohio, that is technically like halfway for everybody. So that makes a lot more sense to be there. So you guys are lucky, but uh, yeah, creative writing is going to drop out of this thing here pretty soon. Um, it's way past our bedtime, and it's like three hours ahead for you. So I don't know what you guys are thinking. But uh, yeah, still one. Yeah, good. I'm gonna straight up rip Spamela apart, um, top to bottom. I'm gonna make her a Bosasoku chopper this summer. So that's my, <laughs> that's what I'm gonna do. And with that, yeah, we're heading on uh, two hours and twenty five minutes. I want to thank you guys most of all for letting us come on and kind of BS and uh, inviting us to this kids table 
chock-a-block, you know, talk, talk about and take some of your topics and flip them to our topics. And you know what I just thought about? To be a courteous co-host, I'm going to turn down the music because maybe you don't want my outro song into your beautiful Arlo Guthrie cover song that you do so well. Well, I mean, it's your show and our show. All right. Uh, we well, can both drop this. This, this, is, this is okay. Look at this. This is the No Komodo uh, creative writing soundtrack to my life, baby. I love that the motorcycle barometer is going up. I love that you and Swigs um, are still getting at it and going to things that uh, creative writing has been banned from. I don't know what Moto One Podcast Network has against us and why they love you guys so much, but uh, yeah, they've blacklisted us from a couple different things. So you guys will be heading out there, and then Jay, we might be coming to your house. I didn't, I didn't discuss this with Wiggins yet. But we might be coming to your house next week to record. Cause, Hell yeah. because yeah, I, I know it's a bummer for you to have to sit around and draw pictures in a leg cast and not be able to see me in wigs face to face. Yes, your beautiful faces. Yeah, oh geez. Now I know you're lying. You're on some good drugs, kid. Keep it that way. And with that I wish. Oh shit, I've been I didn't push record this whole time. <laughs> Psych. All right, guys. Well, I'm gonna drop out and uh, leave you guys to party. And I wish I had some rad techno music to play for you guys, but I don't. So, creative writing, out. There we go. It's a show. It's a show, and I still haven't hit the end button yet. <laughs> All right, everybody. Hey, if you want to reach these guys, hit them up at Nokomoto Contact at Nokomoto.com. Is that right? Contact at NokomotoPodcast.com. Contact at nokomotopodcast.com. Hit us up at creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com or on all, all the social medias as Creative Writing Podcast. Hit up Jay at Flying Banana or SlayJ666 and yep. uh, send us PayPal or some money, Venmo or however you guys send money nowadays. And as usual, your price, your admission to the show every week is just to leave a, a review for Nokomoto. We don't care about reviews, apparently, here at Creative Writing. But yeah, leave a, leave a sweet re- review for Nokomoto. These guys uh, put a lot of work and a lot of research and a lot of time. And I don't know, f- for some reason, you guys are just a little more succinct and you don't ramble like a maniac, uh, similar to what I'm doing now. But you guys are a lot more succinct in your ideas and your show, and I really value that. Uh, thank you guys for being part of the Moco Moco Noto One, <laughs> the Moto One Podcast Network. And I'm really out of here this time. Later, taters. Everybody, this is the Junkmeister one more time. Finally, gonna wrap it up for yakking in your ear. It's almost two and a half hours. Thank you for sticking around for this long. Just wanted to give you the inside scoop on a couple events that are coming up. I don't want you to miss out on. The first one is this weekend, Pikes Peak International Hill Climb. You heard me talking all about it before. That it's the American Isle of Man, only it's not a circuit, but that's that's fine. This year, uh, Chris Fillmore is actually going to contest the lightweight round again on another KTM. we got the Ducatis coming back to see what they can do. It's going to be a really exciting year, and I think there might be some electric bikes slinging around up there on the mountain as well. Check that out this weekend if you can. Pikes Peak International Hill Climb, I think it's ppihc.com is their website. And go find out the info wherever you can. Uh, the next thing I wanted to tell you is do not forget, Law Tigers gave us two amazing offers. They're both coming up here pretty rapidly. So get your, uh, you know, basically 
go over to Law Tigers and check out what they got to offer. 20% off uh, at uh, Laguna Seca and the all-expenses-paid trip to Sturgis. The uh, Sturgis Rally is one of the most iconic you know, events in American motorcycling. I can't believe you would miss out on a $21,000, over $21,000 prize package. So go check all the links that are going to be in the show notes and on our blog and all that great stuff. Now, the next thing I want to tell you a little bit about, the Carnival of Speed is coming up. That's our friend Brady Walker from Classic Track Days. Carnival of Speed is going to be held out at Willow Springs, uh, put on by Ramming Speed Racing and Apex Assassins, Saturday, August 24th and Sunday, August 25th. They plan to celebrate every discipline of motorcycling at this year's event, including road, dirt, flat track, drag racing, mini bikes, street, sidecars, you name it. There will also be a party every night with some mini bike mayhem. I'm 100% sure that Jeff Mahalko, who is on this week's uh, Joe's Mini Bike Reunion podcast, is probably going to be responsible for bringing the mini bikes over. And in addition to that, there'll be live music Saturday night with a cash uh, beer and barbecue uh, to be had by all. The classic track days, I almost said classic ramming speed. That is not who I'm thinking of. Uh, classic track days is also uh, trying to save the date for. Um, I believe Sonoma on Labor Day weekend. So check out their Instagram, Classic Track Days, for all that great stuff. And in the meantime, peace and grease, y'all. Heal up quick, Jay. Thank you so much, Nokomoto. It's an hour and a half. All right, or two and a half hours. I'll come back real quick.